BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There we go. It is Tuesday, June 4th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masovo, returns. It's 7th Congressional District candidate, Anthony Clark. He'll join us, and we welcome to our Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio, Sun-Times business writer, Dave Roeder. And now your host, not a business writer, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky. I am not a business writer, that's for sure. Oh, no. Got no business writing about business, but I write about business all the time. Whoa. Anyway, folks, we're calling this Vice Tax Tuesday. And here's why. I had a great week. You have a good weekend, D. I mean, it was two days ago, but yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, 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 <laughs> kind of o- over it, but yeah. Okay. I knew you were going to say that. Anyway, let's see. What did I do? Mm, I saw Booksmart. Mm, not that good, folks. Don't write to say it. I hate to be the bear of the bad news. You know, rain in your parade and everything, but not that good. Kind of flat. Not that funny. Don't, don't, don't worry yourself about it, all right? But then again, he liked Uncle Drew, so maybe, you know, as a... You know, Loved maybe, Uncle Drew. <laughs> maybe he'll have different opinions. The more opinions. apropos ooh, uh, movie to compare it to would be uh, Blockers, which is a great movie. Run, Doug. Don't walk C-blockers. Yeah, you have to get it from Redbox. Uh, does anybody other than myself use Redbox? Yeah, D? there's still people out okay, there. Okay, all right. I also saw, what was that movie? Always Love You Maybe. That was the movie that Ramana recommended on Friday. It's on Netflix. Two thumbs up. It's a romantic comedy. I was laughing. I was crying. I was like, Allie, get back together with him. Go. Don't. Anyway, uh great flick urge everyone to see it if you like romantic comedies if you don't like them don't go see it anyway i woke up today to discover that over the weekend our state reps our state senators our governor were very very busy coming up with all new kinds of bills trying to figure out how to fund government got to fund government day everybody loves government you want your streets paved got to pay for it you want your police paid got to pay for it you want your firefighters and your teachers the stuff doesn't work for free folks so anyway, what did they do? Well, part of what they did was to approve <laughs> a whole bunch of vices and to, so you could tax vices. This is interesting, folks. We're now funding government by taxing vices. We'll talk about two big ones, uh, gambling and marijuana reefer, as Dennis calls it. Just Dennis doesn't really call it reefer. That's I'm the one who calls it reefer. What do you guys call it downstate? Pot? Uh, dope pot. Dope. <laughs> I'd like dope. Yo, man, dope. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they legalized recreational cannabis. 
oh, cannabis. <laughs> they, I guess they like think nobody knows what cannabis is. So we'll call it cannabis, and then we get to legalize it. Anyway, they legalized a recreational reefer finally, and then they expanded gambling tremendously. We're going to get Dave Roeder in here about 2.30 or so to talk about uh, the casino bill and what the implications are for the city of Chicago. But here's the interesting things, folks. Uh, there's tremendous resistance from the Republicans to any kind of tax on income. But when it comes to taxing vices, not so much opposition from the Republicans. Now, it's true. They vehemently resisted a tax on, uh, excuse me, they vehemently resisted legalizing marijuana. And they have a very peculiar attitude toward vices, the Republicans do. They're against vices that they think their base is against. So somehow or other, Republicans have convinced themselves that the Republican base, the MAGA hat wearers, the we love Donald Trump to the bitter end, is are against marijuana. As a result, they're against it. And not only are they against it, but they get all self-righteous about being against it. You know, like, this is something serious. It's going to hurt your head. It's bad for kids. We, It's bad for law enforcement. We mo- need more time to study this thing, you know? Meanwhile, booze? Oh, <laughs> you know, sure, let's legalize it. Let's tax that to, to the hilt. You know, they have any problem with liquor, but they uh, have tremendous problems with marijuana. And this is, again, because they think their base is against it. We heard this with Bruce Rauner, remember, uh, former yeah. Governor Rauner, <laughs> when he went on that t- radio show downstate D to say... Uh, he Yay w- for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Did we ever have a tape of him on that <laughs> show, or was that just you imitating him? I can't remember. Uh, what was he talking about? When he was talking about Reefer. Oh, no, yeah, he was on, uh, yeah, in Carterville. Carterville? WJPF. But, do, but did we ever get a tape of that? Or yeah, was we it, got audio. Okay, we have audio of that. I just remember you d- imitating him. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, dopers are bad. <laughs> so somehow or other, Bruce Rauner, who you know lives in Winnetka, everybody's smoking Reefer in Winnetka at, along the lake. Come on, folks, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, has con- acted as though it was something outrageous that anybody would ever even think about smoking marijuana. He went downstate to say it. Folks in downstate are like, we smoke it all the time, so I don't know what you're talking about but uh anyway that's the republican party and of course the democrats are so cautious the chicken democrats this is the democratic party like i call it drinking that rom kool-aid uh that bill clinton kool-aid they're just so cautious about expanding behind the limitations of what they think is politically palpable it's like i always say it's like they have a focus group of swing voters in suburban virginia or maryland and if those swing voters say well i don't know about marijuana yeah i smoked it back in the 80s but i'm concerned oh great swing voter impression (laughs) sounds just like a swing voter that's it we're not. We're against it. We need those swing voters. All right. So the Democrats are so afraid. Anyway, I'm going to give them credit. Kelly Cassidy, you deserve credit. Heather Staines, you d- deserve credit. You put up with all this nonsense, all the preparation. Like, how long did it take? D about a year or so Long of preparation time. before they finally legalized reefer. And you know, there was all this consternation uh, in the state house from the Republicans who think their base is against it, even though their base really is for it, and for Democrats who think their swing voters are against it, even though their swing voters are probably smoking it right now. Uh, but it passed anyway. Now we're going to tax. I got mixed feelings about this folks it's just like the gambling bill you're taxing it's a regressive tax it's a flat tax that you put on all people who either buy reefers you know or buy alcohol or buy cigarettes or gamble gambling is the most regressive tax at all and it's funny it hardly gets any resistance i mean the whole the whole gambling industry is set up to guarantee that the person who gambles loses 
And so you're just giving your money away to the casino, and then the state applies a tax on it. It's the most regressive form of taxation. I know it's it's all based on people fooling themselves into thinking that they're actually going to make money when, in fact, they're probably going to throw their money away. Uh, and and yet this is permissible in the state of Illinois. Listen, the libertarian in me, I believe all, pretty much all our vices should be legal, and we should try to uh, get something positive out of them by taxing uh, taxing them, if only to pay for the programs to help people struggling with their addictions uh, to these various vices. So I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not calling for prohibition. I'm just saying it's very interesting the way we determine which vice is worse than the other uh, as we dedicate ourselves to pretty much legalizing them all in our desperate attempt to raise some money to fund government because what? Because we're afraid to do it the real safe rational, progressive way, which is to impose a progressive tax so the wealthier pay a greater portion on their income. I guess we're, that's too scary. That's too cautious. We're too cautious to deal with that. Just worried about those swing voters in Maryland or Virginia? I'm not sure about the progressive tax. There we go. All right. Is that the swing voter impression? Swing voter. Oh, the Democratic Party's been beholden to those swing voters for about 30 years. Anyway. So that's the situation we have here in the state of Illinois. We're uh, engaging in regressive taxation to pay the bills uh, because we're a little too concerned. We're a little too scared to take the plunge and deal with more progressive, fair ways of funding government. You know what makes me think, D? Why not bring back the soda pop tax? Remember that one from oh, a couple of years yeah. ago, Tony Preckwinkle? Oh, yeah. People love that. <laughs> People went nuts. Somehow or other, a soda pop tax is unfair and inequitable, but uh, expanding gambling is not. Folks, when you have figured out the logic that governs politics in the state of Illinois, in the county of Cook, in the city of Chicago, please send me that memo of explanation. We got a great show today, uh, everybody. Maya will be here. Is she here yet? Did she text to say she's coming, Leah? All right. I love when Maya... Chicago Raiders own Maya Dukmasova? Uh, Chicago Raiders own Maya Dukmasova will be walking through that door in about 20 minutes, uh, and we'll be talking about all the local news of the day. Awesome. Probably some... I'll get Maya's uh, thoughts on uh, the regressive taxation and taxing gambling and taxing reefer, et cetera, uh, and the soda pop. I know she's got a lot of ideas on that one. Uh, And uh, at uh, 2 o'clock, Anthony Clark will be here. He, of course, uh, is running for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. Did he say he's on his way, Leah? Did Anthony say he said he's on his way? Anthony Clark will be here. Uh, He, of course, is a high school teacher out at Oak Park. He's been on the show several times before. Get his thoughts on all the issues of the day, national politics, local politics, state politics. And then in the 2.30 hour, uh, Dave Roeder, uh, an old friend of mine who is the business reporter at the, uh, the, my beloved Bright One, Chicago Sun-Times, he will be in here. We'll talk about where the casino will go in Chicago. Now Chicago's got the green light for a casino. Fun, fun, fun. Where will the casino go? And I'll maybe give a chance to do my uh, Lori Lightfoot impression. Oh, Lori. there we go. That'll be good. That'll be Lori good. Light- That'll get her in the studio for an interview. <laughs> Lori Lightfoot had some. Everybody, as soon as you get to gambling, everybody's acting like a gambler. Lori Lightfoot wouldn't come out and say uh, where she's going. Just give us a little taste of that impression, please. Uh, You had one, didn't you? No, you said you did. I know, but didn't you do one? You're trying to (laughs) throw this on me. Yes, I am. And I will throw it on you because 
it's time that the doctor takes the deep dive on the news. What you got for me, young man? Excellent segue, dude. Yeah. That was really good. Mm-hmm. It's the middle of the day, everybody. Let's catch up and talk about the national news happening this afternoon. And Ben, today the president is in Great Britain. Yeah, so grab your avocado and cheese sandwich. Oh, and don't forget your iHeart Nancy Pelosi thermos. We're going to Great Britain. Here we go. <laughs> I love what you get that thing. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're now in Great Britain. Okay. And yes, by now we've all seen that awkward picture of Donald Trump about to burst out of his greatly British suit. Have you seen that? Yes, it was very weird. Oh, bow tie and all. Looked like Mr. Popper's penguin. Good times. <laughs> you, say, you say he looked like a penguin? Uh, uh, Mr. Popper's oh, penguin gotcha. okay, from the yeah. book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm sure you've seen the uber clever protest signs, balloons, and other anti-Donald Trump inflatable products at the protest. Donald Trump is abroad in the UK on a three-day visit. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All right, on day one, he and First Lady Melania were greeted by the monarch at Buckingham Palace. His ceremonial welcome included a private lunch and a guided tour. Oh, my. Wow. He had a private lunch with who? Just with the people at Buckingham Palace. Okay. I don't know. Who do you think I was there? <laughs> Just asking. I just got what I have here in the news. Why are you asking for more? Maybe with the queen. Maybe he had a private lunch with the queen. Well, more than likely. But do not worry, Trump fans. He will not leave you hanging, all right? Because before Air Force One could even Uh, land in the UK, and before his busy week began, Mm -hmm. he left all of us with a series of the trolliest tweets imaginable against London Mayor Sadiq Khan. Mm. Trump called Mr. Khan a, quote, stone-cold loser, (laughs) saying he had done a terrible job as mayor. Now, to be fair, on Sunday, the London mayor did describe Donald Trump as, quote, just one of the most egregious examples of a growing global threat and compared the language he has used to that of the fascists of the 20th century. So, just saying, Mm. in his defense. Mm -hmm. uh, We're defending Donald Trump. Okay, (laughs) got it. Somewhat, I guess. But on to today, Trump had a joint press conference with resigning Prime Minister Theresa May. Mm -hmm. Trump said the U.K. is... Uh, the United States' biggest trade partner. Mm. A fact he said many people may not know. Yeah, it's because it's not true. (laughs) China is actually the largest U.S. trade partner. But whatever, it sounded good, you know. When in Rome, I guess. Trump then talked Brexit. He said the U.K. should go ahead with its scheduled exit from the European Union. Trump then admitted that May is a better negotiator than Trump, saying that if it were him, he would have sued the EU. Here's the quote from Trump. Quote, I would have sued, (laughs) but that's okay. She's probably a better negotiator than I am. I would have sued and settled, maybe, but you never know. Uh, Yeah, well, actually, as everybody knows, the movement uh, to uh, remove uh, Great Britain from uh, the European Union was sort of the forerunner of Donald Trump's victorious uh, presidential campaign. And I put victorious in air quotes because technically he did not win more votes than Hillary Clinton. Just a point I like to, a fact I like to point out all the time. Oh, tell me about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's sort of uh, rooted in the same sort of very nationalistic, uh, you know, uh, paranoid style of politics that Donald Trump uh, has used so well to his advantage, where you pit one group against another, you exploit fears and prejudices, you make people feel 
feel as though they're victims of forces beyond their control, that you're going to look out for them, even though you're part of the forces that are victimizing the very people that they think you're saving if you follow all that. So, uh, yeah, Donald Trump, uh, he learned a thing or two from the Brexit uh, forces and has applied them to his advantage uh, here in the United States. And now it's apparently spreading all around the world, this very nationalistic, paranoid style of government. And um, so it's it's so funny, D, the the movement that began Donald Trump or fortified Donald Trump, if you want to put it that way, uh, it began in Great Britain. And yet he is so unpopular in Great Britain. Figure that out. OK, you know, people's split personalities in the world. I think he's down to I thought I saw he, his favorable rating in uh, Great Britain was like 19 or 20 percent, something like that. And yet. That's the country that he's emulating, uh, at least for the Brexit uh, movement. So bizarre situation in national politics as well as local politics. Trump then urged Theresa May to reconsider her plans to resign and instead stick around to work out a post-Brexit trade deal. And aside from that uh, giant inflatable Donald Trump <laughs> on the toilet tweeting that uh, is currently on the streets of London, there's not really much else to talk about when it comes to that trip to the UK. So, Ben, let's get out of here. Let's get back to the States. All right, buddy? Oh, real quick. Do a quick uh, British impression. Hello, mate. Awesome. All right. Let's go back to the States. <laughs> How'd you know I could do a British impersonation? I've known you long enough, dude. <laughs> all right. You talk about that broad church show all the time. Broad church! <laughs> That's how I do. All right, we're back in the States. Mm-hmm. In other news nationally, former Donald Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort oh, is likely to be moved as early as this week to nowhere good, the Rikers Island Jail in New York City. Yeah. The Associated Press has reported that several progressive groups have written a letter to the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Ben, try to hold your excitement. <laughs> expressing deep disappointment. Disappointment over House Democrats' mm-hmm. reluctance to impeach Donald Trump and pushing Pelosi to move forward with impeachment. And finally, thanks to CNN in their latest presidential candidate poll, we have a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate update. Ooh, let me get this note. Oh, Go ahead. Get the notes out. All in a right. poll asking Democrats and Democratic-leaning registered voters who their pick for president is in 2020 uh-huh. nationwide, still in the lead with 32%. Yeah, that's right. Grandpa Joe, <laughs> okay. former Vice President yeah. Joe Biden. Uh-huh. He was at 39% on the last poll. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders was in second with 18%. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Followed by California Senator Kamala Harris at 8% and at 7%. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. We had 5% for South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, or as Ben likes to call him, Buddha, 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 Tedge. <laughs> it's different every I time. I thought you were going to do like, your invitation of me. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're killing it on the impression. Buddha, Tedge, Tedge, Tedge. There you go. So uh, 5%, 5% each for South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg and former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Oh, so they're tied. Five. All right. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker comes in with 3% support mm-hmm. with former Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Julian Castro and Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar at 2%. Percent each, mm-hmm. and that means the remaining fourteen candidates. Well, <laughs> less than one percent total. Not good. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that is not. Uh, Biden at thirty-two, Bernie at eighteen. You know. By the way, the five percent uh, for Mayor Pete. You might want to check out the interview that we posted. When did we post that day? A Sunday. Sunday with uh, Henry Davis Jr., who is a councilman in South Bend, uh, where Mayor Pete is the mayor. And he ran against Mayor Pete, I want to say, in 2015. Uh, 
not complimentary uh, in his remarks about uh, Mayor Pete, has some issues with the way Mayor Pete has governed the city of South Bend. So just, you know, if you want a different perspective, uh, check out the interview with Henry Davis, right, but not now, to quote you. You can find those interviews at both Chicago Reader and Chicago Chicago Sun-Times website, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, or wherever else you find your favorite podcast. Let me ask you a trivia question. What? For 10 trivia points. That's the clock. (laughs) Who is Henry Davis's sister? Oh, man, that's so easy. (laughs) Familiar friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, the one and only Stacey Davis Gates. Yeah, Stacey. And she was here for the interview as well. So I guess she was just making sure that, you know, little brother, that's her little brother, was maybe afraid. You know, no, I'm not just kidding, Henry. Uh, but uh, she said, I'll make sure Ben's nice to you. He was sort of not kidding. But, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's yeah. program rolls along. And coming up after this short little break, people, we're moving on. We're going to find out what's going on locally. So stick around because coming up, we're going to find out what else is news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. All right, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mm. Oh, you okay there, buddy? Oh, man, I had little problems with my headphones, but it all worked out. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we're live from the Sun-Times. Uh, Maya Dukmasova just uh, popped in. She popped out. She'll be right back. Lots to talk about with her. Anthony Clark coming in later. Man, I can't wait for today's show. David Rohr. It's happening right now. What do you mean you can't wait? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That shows what you think about this segment coming up. But anyway, we're about to find out what's going on locally. I love this segment. Liar. It's time for what else is news. (laughs) Ben loves it. Yeah, right. A casino coming to Chicago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds like it. More on that in a moment. But first, Mm -hmm. holy cow, Ben Jarofsky, a lot has happened in Illinois in the last couple of days. It sure has. So let's just unpack as much as we can here, okay? Okay. First up, we have a follow-up on two stories that broke just as we were ending Friday's Ben Jarofsky show. Oh, That's there a story's breaking. There breaking news. The, Sorry. the first uh, follow-up. <laughs> oh, it gets me every time. Yes, it's true, people. Yeah. Governor J.B. Pritzker and Illinois Democrats' legal recreational cannabis bill, cannabis bill has passed the House. But listeners who smoke marijuana right now, please do not live out that dream of ripping a spliff in front of the police just yet, okay? Not yet. Not yet. The law doesn't go into effect until January 1st of 2020, okay? And until then, we can watch for proposals for dispensary locations to be announced on zoning boards across the state. 
existing medical dispensaries will be built out as well and expect billboard campaigns to inform people about how to get involved in the industry. And thanks to the Chicago Tribune's Robert McCoppin. Thanks, Robert. We learned that we won't be seeing in the coming months. Yeah, we won't be seeing advertising to promote the use of no. marijuana. And yeah, sadly, no, uh, Camel Joe will not be making a comeback. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome to see Camel Joe come back? Well, we don't have cigarette ads, so I guess it's, you know, more of the same on that front. And the second is an update on quite possibly Chicago's shadiest deal maker and Burger King shaker, 14th World Alderman. Oh, brother. But probably not for much longer, mm. Ed Burke. Last week, a 59-page indictment was released. It accused Burke of using his powerful position to steer business to his private tax law firm amid schemes that involved the old main post office, a Burger King at 41st Street and Pulaski Road, and a redevelopment project on the northwest side. Burke and his top political aide, one Peter J. Andrews, Mm -hmm. as well as a developer, made a brief court appearance today, brief enough to plead not guilty to the charges in the indictment. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, first of all, I just want everybody to know that I dutifully read the indictment. I read the federal indictment. I did it uh, for a column I just wrote for the Chicago Reader where I I quote-unquote defend Ed Burke. Yes, I defend Ed Burke. (laughs) Someone's got to do it. I got a problem, Dave. I I got many problems, but I got this strong contrarian streak. If everybody's going this way, I just instinctively want to go that way. I spent my entire adult career as a journalist in this town, and this shows you how long Ed Burke has been around. He's been around for my entire adult career. Bashing Ed Burke. I don't think there's a person in the city of Chicago, elected official in the Chicago, that I find more reptilian than Ed Burke of the 14th Ward. He, I will never forgive him for his role, the role he played in Council Wars, uh, stirring up all the racism and prejudice, etc. That said, I, you know, in my own uh, weird way, kind of, I'll let, let the calm speak for itself when it comes out later, uh, defended him. Some, he was trying to look get a little something out of a TIFF deal. And I, I can understand that because I'm always trying to get a little something out of a TIFF deal our, ourselves. So he was trying to shake down uh, the powers that be to get a little piece of the pie. And uh, the reality is that nobody gets a piece of anything when it comes to the way the TIFF program is uh, is, is adjudicates. Anyway, I kind of had my tongue in cheek, but uh, I try to defend Ed Burke a little bit in today's column that I wrote for the reader. Wow, he's stretching today, folks. Hey, when he when they go one way, he goes the other. Look for uh, Ben's Donald Trump endorsement soon on the Ben Jarofsky show. <laughs> not going to happen. Oh, not going to go okay. that way. First of all, a lot of people already endorsed love okay. Trump. All right. Supposedly going to get reelected, so... All right, and on Monday, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced a new seven-person school board, including people with deep experience in Chicago schools. Ben, how are you feeling about right, Lightfoot's I new school board? I am definitely going to talk to Maya about this one. And again, I am the proverbial flag flapping in the proverbial breeze on this one. Uh, as a principal, I believe in an elected school board. I believe in democracy. There's a lot of problems with when you get around to uh, having a democracy in the city of Chicago. It's usually controlled by the people with the most money. My and I have talked about this many times when we take the deep dive in aldermanic elections. And I have a feeling a school board election would be the same way. That said... We should not shy away from democracy because it's not a perfect. So, in general, I'm for an elected school board. Uh, and so, what does that mean when when Lori Lightfoot appoints perhaps the best school board that I've seen in the last 30 years, the city of Chicago? Well, it's like, yay, Lori. But on the other hand, 
Yeah, but shouldn't should we allow this to undercut the movement for an elected school board? So you see that flag flapping in that breeze, D? Yeah. That's me. Going this way, going that way. <laughs> going this way, going that way. Always, always <laughs> this way and that way. Well, it's think one stop. way or another, man. Sometimes it's hard to have a, you know, one opinion. All right. How did we get a flag in here? Okay. We're going to have Maya talk about this. She's thinking out. She, right now as we speak. She's trying to figure out what her opinion is on this issue. She's feverishly working away there. We're going to get it when we return. All right. Well, now we're real quick here. Let's talk okay. casinos here. You went to break. Uh, with passage of a statewide casino and gambling bill, Illinois is looking to become the gambling capital of the Midwest. <laughs> but now the casino discussion centers on location. Mm-hmm. Mayor Lori Lightfoot doesn't want to, quote, get into speculation, but told reporters Monday that the decision will be dictated by results of a feasibility stuff. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Ben? <laughs> feasibility studies that's like me flapping in the wind what they do is they 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 do it like polls and surveys and which one is going to be the best politically and who's got the most clout etc we're going to bring rotor in at 2 30 guys know everything about business the business community in the city of chicago uh, to break this down uh, a little more but uh yeah i uh, they they've given the the city of chicago the right to have a casino uh as i said i have very mixed feelings about that as well i'm a, more of a flag in the breeze on that one because on one hand, legalizing uh, gambling is a way to raise money for government. On the other hand, gambling is very destructive. It's set up uh, so the people who can least afford to lose money lose money. That's the whole point of gambling. That's how the, the casinos make their money, and ultimately it's how the government makes its money. So it's really a regressive, destructive way uh, to raise money for government. Um, that said, the reality is the powers that be in the city of Chicago want it. They've always wanted it. They can make money of it. They don't mind. Uh, regressive taxes. They oppose progressive taxes. These are the powers, the proverbial powers to be. And if somebody is making some money somewhere, they're for it. A very strange way we have of funding government. Uh, that's the way we have it. Anyway, uh, when we get into particulars as to where the casino goes, uh, well, that's where the real politicking and wheeling and dealing will begin here in the city of Chicago. And that's where um, we're going to bring Dave Roder in, get a little deeper dive in that around 2.30 or so. Where to put a casino? Where to put a casino? That is the question here. Uh, if you were to ask Illinois Politico and once she a Capos, Mayor Lightfoot should do something that our host Ben Jarofsky would never suggest. Lori Lightfoot should ask, what would Amazon do? Oh, whoa, he almost spit water out there. Lightfoot might consider looking at a list Amazon considered when it was looking to potentially build a headquarters in Chicago, Politico writes. The e-commerce company needed a giant location similar to what a casino might require. The sites Amazon looked at, let's look at these sites here, Ben. Uh, The 78 development, 62 acres along Chicago River between the South Loop and Chinatown. The River District, 37 acres between Chicago and Grand Avenue. It's owned by Tribune Media. Lincoln Yards Development. 70 acres along Lincoln Park and Bucktown. The Burnham Lakefront redevelopment of the former Michael Reese Hospital site, 100 acres south of I-55 and McCormick Place. Uh, and Fulton Market District on the near west side on properties with multiple owners. Yeah, all right. Uh, but you're reviving the Amazon uh, debacle in my mind. Uh, all those sites are in gentrifying areas. And so that part of the reason I was opposed to Amazon, it was just fortifying the gentrification that was already taking place. Huge, massive investment of our public dollars in areas that least need it. At the same time, we're underwriting and subsidizing one of the wealthiest corporations in the world, if not uh, the wealthiest corporation in the world. It was uh, a debacle, a farce. Uh, Mayor Rahman Rauner uh, committed over $2 billion of our dollars to it. 
it. Uh, Lord knows how much they actually committed before Amazon just said the heck with you and went with New York and it's since abandoned New York. So uh, to bring back these districts for a casino, once again, it's like gilding the lily. It's the city of Chicago is incapable of putting a, a huge mega development deal anywhere other than an area that is already developing huge mega development deals. I'm going to love to hear what Maya has to say about this one. I know she's fired up on this one. So I, if we have to put a casino in the city of Chicago, I would like to see the casino go in a place where it might really help a community but then again, I struggle with this. Casinos are so detrimental to the existence of people who can least afford to gamble. I'm all over the map on this one, D. I always thought we should just put it in the water. Isn't that the whole point? Remember, it was you can't have a casino, you can't have a land-based casino. Put it on a boat and put it out in the lake so you can't screw up a neighborhood. Anyway, D, as you could see, there are no easy answers here, and I don't. I certainly am all over the map on this one. Well, we're going to be talking more about this at two thirty with our guest, uh, business writer of the Sun Times, the one and only Dave Roder. Maybe he can help you out there. But just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and Illinois, and now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, "Hey, what else is news?" All right, let me tell you something that Andy Ruiz. Ruiz. You know who he is? No. He's the new heavyweight champion in the world, D. Oh, oh that big fella. Yeah, big boy. Oh, he's a real big guy. Yeah, I know who you're <laughs> talking about. Feller. Yeah. I still can't believe he won that fight. Holy cow. Andy Ruiz, he must weigh, they say he weighs 265 pounds. I think the guy's close to 300. Well, it was really nice of him to think of me. Yeah, well, this is what he thinks. And Anthony Joshua, the guy he beat. All right. And Deontay Wilder, the other guy out in London who is now waiting to fight Andy Ruiz. They all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash maya sitting here we'll be right back with maya after this read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel i can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from maya dukmasova and our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed chicagoan Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Hey. Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him. Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We're back. Maya Dumasapa in the studio with me, my uh, colleague, my partner in crime, and my beloved reader. Hi. Hello, Maya. Here's the reader, folks. Don't you just want to squeeze that? 
that cover. Look at it. Look at that illustration. Yeah. Everybody at the office thinks that you just want to hug it. You know, it's those little characters. Explain to uh, the people who aren't <laughs> watching on the live feed what is the illustration. It's just well, so it's our annual books and well, I guess maybe now it'll be our annual books and comics issue, and uh, it's an illustration that shows people engaged in reading activities. Mm-hmm. And there's also some there's a Garfield character. There's some birds, and uh, they're all, they're all just you know, people enjoying books. But they're all the way that they're drawn just. I don't know, makes me want to squeeze them. Yeah, no, it's a great uh, cover, reader. God bless the reader, live and kicking. And uh, I. Today's I, the last day to pick it up, really. I mean, today is Tuesday, so tomorrow you could probably still find it. I mean, I've been seeing the boxes empty by like Sunday. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, in where I live, there's a lot of reader boxes, I think too many, but it used to be that they were, you know, all week that you could get it all week, but now they're really running out fast, which means people are picking it up. So, you know, if you don't have yours yet, you might need to, you know, hound around the city a little bit. Yeah, uh, that's good. Good news. The reader is alive and kicking. And this is the books and comics issue. I talked about, I wrote a story about, uh, they they told me, uh, Karen says, Ben, you gotta, you gotta, have you read a book lately? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm always reading books. So it's by, by chance. I was lucky. Usually I'm reading cheap novels. uh, You were reading Cy Hirsch? Yeah. uh, But I read, uh, I happened to read uh, Seymour Hirsch's book, Reporter. I've been talking about it all last week. I won't talk about it again. All right. uh, Let's get down to business, Maya. You were at the city council meeting Last Wednesday, I believe yep. it was, Lori's mm-hmm. first meeting, her showdown with uh, uh, Ed the Reptile Burke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so give us uh, uh, your general thoughts about that first meeting. Well, so here's the thing. If, if uh, you listeners have been following the news, you've probably already heard about the meeting. You've probably already seen the headlines. And the most headline-grabbing part of the meeting was this, uh, this kind of, quote-unquote, showdown between Ed Berg and Lori Lightfoot. Basically, um, the first uh, kind of thing that happened at the meeting, the first kind of le- legislative action, was um, this uh, new set of rules that uh, were... Uh, proposed by Lori Lightfoot for the for the new city council. And there were some changes to these rules, uh, substantive changes, for example, um, committee meetings, which are currently not live streamed like the main city council meeting. Um, now committee meetings will be live streamed, which will allow a lot more people to kind of see and glean to what's going on in these committee meetings, which is often where the real action on legislation happens. Mm-hmm. And other changes that were made were that now, so now there's this rule 14, which Ed Burke is so famous for invoking, which is that if you have a conflict of interest of some sort, you can't vote um, on a matter that, for example, involves a party you might be representing as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, up until now, you could participate in debate. You could introduce legislation involving the parties in, with whom you have these conflicts of interest. So uh, the new city council rules say that you can't, uh, you can't, you cannot, uh, you know, preside over debate or participate in debate involving any entity that you have a conflict of interest with, and you still can't vote on any matter okay. relating to, you know, an, an, an entity that you have a conflict of interest with. And there's a couple of other changes. And so (laughs) once this was introduced, Ed Burke pipes up and uh, he starts this soliloquy. And that's the word Lori Lightfoot used as well. uh, Talking about how there are problems in these rules because in various places, the masculine pronoun was being used. So like the clerk or his designee. 
So it kept referring only to like he and his. Mm -hmm. And so Ed Burke comes out, you know, as this apparent, you know, gender parody warrior uh, saying that, you know, this is this is improper and to, you know, to have to 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 have constant references to male pronouns, to to masculine pronouns rather than having uh, gender neutral pronouns. Mm So uh, this was just was obviously farcical to watch. I don't think I don't I don't know I don't think Ed Burke <laughs> cares at all no, about he, gender issues. But Ed, Ed Burke was looking for some way to criticize Laura and uh, Heidi Henry, who was on our show Friday, put it so well. She goes, "It was the ultimate display of mansplaining, right?" That and she's seen in a long time. Yeah, and so Laurie wasn't having any of it, and she shut him down pretty quickly. He tried to pipe up again um, a little bit later, and that's you know when she told him basically to like sit down and you know. She She'd call on him when she wanted to hear from him. Um, and then there was a, a kind of a smaller little set of fireworks around Ray Lopez, who, when it came time to appoint the committee chairs that Lori Lightfoot um, was proposing, he stood up and said, uh, also delivered a little speech and said that basically, you know, the people, he felt like every these decisions about committee chairs were done in a silo, that he's concerned that um, Latino representation has been cut in, among committee chairs, that um, the uh, women to men ratio is 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 worse than it used to be. So once again, um, you know, she wasn't really having it and the vote sailed through. And so all of her everything that she wanted to get through at the beginning to start off her relationship with the council sailed through um, without much opposition, really. I will have to say that, like, to me, when I so when I attend an event like this and think about how I'm going to write about it, um, I always have to keep in mind that, you know, this is when by the time my story comes out, all of the news will have been broken. Mm-hmm. So how can I write about this thing that's going to be in any way different from the daily newspapers? So that's not that's going to add something rather than just be a recapitulation of the daily news stories. Mm-hmm. And so I actually um, I went I, I watched the meeting from the from the gallery, from the public gallery and not from the press box, which I find very stuffy. And I don't like sitting in there anyway. And I never get a good seat. Um and I have to say that to you, I think to your average person, city council is like o- almost totally inscrutable. Like to, it's very hard to understand what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. So you know, the meeting opens. Uh, there's a public comment period, which is about forty-five minutes of people coming up and taking three minutes at a time to you know plead with the council and the mayor for various things that they're concerned about, and then that closes, and then it go you know and then things move to you know dis- actually like discussing legislation that's going to be passed, and so obviously this time around between the new rules and the new committee chairs that was like a new newsworthy thing. But then they spend about 20 minutes reading off these like just like one after another after another, these like ordinances concerning like awnings and, you know, signs and like ward level things that have to be approved by the entire city council, even though really nobody cares about these things. It's like the local alderman that basically says like, okay, yeah, you can get your liquor license or whatever. Yeah. So um, the the interesting thing yeah. is like while this so but but if you don't if this is your first time uh-huh. if like you have never been to a city council meeting before or if you're not haven't been very often like.
like it gets very confusing because all of this is just like introduced so matter of factly and, and 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 the process rolls along so matter of factly and it doesn't there's like no real explanation there's no like you know kind of like explanatory bubbles mm-hmm. that pop up Absolutely. over city council telling folks like hey like this is what's going on now yeah and they could well, use that yeah totally and and there's some sort of some sort of virtual reality like maybe they could hand out like virtual reality goggles to people to like <laughs> no they uh if you, the, at the opera and i know they you're have, a huge yeah, opera yeah, yeah. fan they have the the subtitles uh, right of you know so translated in, english in, so right. they could translate in this plain, into, plain, right right and actually it was funny because i was i was sitting next to um uh, Cleopatra Watson, who uh, ran for Ninth Ward Alderman against Anthony Beale this mm-hmm. past cycle and, and um, lost, but she, we got to talking a little bit, and actually, she, this was her first city council meeting, mm. and she was like just as confused she was like also very confused about what was going on and at one point she asked me is it like is it normal that uh the aldermen while there's this Mm -hmm. drone of legislation being read that they're like walking around and talking to each other and on their phones and like doing you know just like not paying attention she was like is this like normal that they just are like not paying attention to what's going on and i was like yeah like Mm -hmm. this is just how it is but i think you know it's um this is part of what makes the kind of makes it hard to engage with your government because you you know you go once and it's just like what yeah like what is going on and there's also there's this thing that like people show up really early to sign up to speak at the public comment period Mm -hmm. but just because you signed up doesn't mean you're going to get a chance to go because there's only 45 minutes allotted for it so lots of people came there to say their piece about various things and then they were confused about why they didn't get a chance to say it even though they'd stood in line for a long time beforehand to like get their get their sign their slip yeah uh we have a democracy in the city of chicago but it's uh, pretty much set up uh, to discourage people from participating mm-hmm. uh, and we wonder why our, our voter turnout so slow by the way i have to tell you this while listening to you talk about ed burke uh and uh his encounter with lori lightfoot i have to go back to the fact i'm very proud of this i actually read the 59 page indictment <laughs> and um it, it the indictment is 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 remarkable. I found that remarkable, uh, Amaya, even for Chicago. I've been following this stuff for a long time because Danny Solis, the chairman of the zoning committee, uh, who was wearing a wiretap for the feds, mm-hmm. and Ed Burke, who was his victim, if you will, the fly ensnared in the web, uh, the reptile were, ensnared the in the rept- bigger reptile. I know. I web. turned him into a fly. It's just like it's a, a different reptile, a larger one. Yeah, and and. They're both so violating that rule that you just invoked, the rule that you are not supposed to have any kind of interaction with an entity doing seeking business with the government. They're both violating it. There's this. Uh, well, now, I mean, th- until now, yeah. the rule was that you're just not supposed to vote. No, but there's a rule that stipulates only I would know this because I've read so many TIF agreements mm-hmm. in a TIF agreement where the they're giving out money to some entity to do something that they probably don't need the money for in the first place. Uh, there's a stipulation that says you're not to have any kind of contact with the person who's voting on giving out this money. And if you do have any contact, I'm paraphrasing yeah. the legalese, you're supposed to report it right away. So right now, they're violating every rule. They, we, they were, 
we're uh, Danny Solis is essentially saying, um, you know, uh, do you because he's trying to set Burke up. That's mm-hmm. his role. Not that Burke needed any encouraging. He's uh, basically saying these people want a TIF. They want some TIF money. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you're going to sign and it's got to come to the finance committee. You're going to sign off on him. It's like he's leading him on. And then Burke is saying, not nah, they won't get good luck getting on the agenda unless they give me some property tax business. Right. And then Burke says to Danny Solis, I'll cut you in on the property tax business okay you could be a marketing representative that's what he says like a finder's fee for bringing the now keep in mind danny solis has to oversees the zoning commission they're going to approve the zoning on the deal Mm -hmm. so both of these guys are violating this basic precept of government and and meanwhile uh they both voted for it by the way then they both voted for the tiff deal you know sometimes i wonder like something these people, uh, okay, so I would bet that Ed Burke is very good about his uh, personal financial situation. I think that he probably has money squirreled away in all kinds of places. He's got a million different, you know, funds where he keeps his money for his legal defense, for a rainy day, whatever. But it, he, listening to you, talk, to, to you talk about this and thinking about what kind of money these guys are getting out of these deals and thinking about, like, Danny Solis, like, hitting up like people he knows to like give him viagra Mm -hmm. like what like what is going on with like what what are they doing with this money like what is danny solis doing with that money i don't get the sense that danny solis is like wisely investing this money that he gets out of getting cuts out of these deals if he's in a position to have to like ask his friends for viagra well one well okay there's many issues embedded in all this one uh there's this this transactional notion of how chicago government works and it's so embedded in the psyche of chicago also why are you going to sorry just uh, why are you going to massage parlors okay now you really got money you can like hire people to come to you i know but but that that, okay uh now you're going back another scandal so the scandal she's just alluded to everybody if you forgot is where danny solis where got in trouble in the first place with the feds, which uh, in order to uh, set himself up for a lesser sentence, I presume, agreed to wear a wire on and tape bring down Ed Burke. And part of the reason why he got in trouble is that he was trading zoning approval <laughs> for massage parlor treats. So it gets that. Yes, he could afford. I presume an alderman makes about $100,000 a year. Yeah. He could afford to go to pay for his own massage parlor. He could afford to pay for his film owned by Agra. For all I know, the, uh, the um, taxpayer-funded health care plan that Danny Solis has would pay for his Viagra anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so yes, but it's this transactional notion, and this is the, this is the point I was getting at, and when I, earlier. They all it's it's like what 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 Bogoyevich said. I got a thing. It's golden. I'm not giving it up unless I can get something for it. So nobody thinks of government as something you do as like a civic virtue. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody thinks of government as like like a common interest that all people have. Well, maybe Anthony Clark does, our next guest. I'll ask him his thoughts on this. But nobody in the city of Chicago, apparently, they all think of it as something they could trade and swap for something of value to them. in Viagra that they could buy on their own. A massage powder that they could pay for their own. You know, more zoning property tax business, which you shouldn't have anyway, because you're Or even like, you know, Proco Joe Moreno, who would like show up to... to, to, uh, Big Star Tacos in Wicker Park and just, you know, not pay his tab. 
just walk this is in what and I get heard. a taco. No, just like he had like a tab running that that he just never paid. That yeah. you know, like just expect. It's like a kind of like, I don't know. It's like it, it, there's something extortiony about it. This idea that like you don't have to pay in the businesses that you patronize because you're the local alderman. Which, by the way, also Rom was famous for like not, uh, I guess, like not tipping when he went. Which, by the way, Lori Lightfoot recently went to build coffee on this uh, on the south side and. Uh, I have it on good authority that she did not tip, neither did her person that she came with. All right, with. hold on. Let's just back up. <laughs> this is a big thing in my household. Big tippers in our household. You're telling me that Rahm Emanuel is... I did not know that. I thought I knew everything I bad about Rahm. I heard that Rahm Emanuel would go into ZNH in Hyde Park and never tip. But... Even more salient is that our current mayor, no, okay. Lori Lightfoot, no, no, no. didn't yeah, tip. That's, come on, mayors. Come on, Lori. That's tip. true. You got a tip. And now, you know, I got. I got. This, this was. This is what's crazy. So here's. Here's. This is like a little tangent. But I. I just. This is. This story is like too. Too. Too much not to get into. So basically, so, the person who took her order. Yeah. Told me the story about how she came in with two other people and she did. She paid for her own drink and she didn't tip. And one of the other people she came with did not tip. Uh, I like kind of tweeted some reference to this about like what's this I hear about Lori Lightfoot not tipping. Then I get a text message from somebody tangentially in the orbit of her PR team <laughs> talking, <laughs> about how, that was. <laughs> how, talking about how, hey, that's not true. And I'm like, well, that's not what the person who took her order says. Like, you know, what, like, this, <laughs> the person who took the order says she did not tip. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's, that's, that's the end of the story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess they were, they, they I don't know. I, to me, that there was like nothing more. So what do you that, get at? What am I going to what, what am I going to call yeah. her and ask her for comment? Hey, yeah. Mary Lightfoot, how come you didn't tip? I mean, I wasn't doing a story about it. This was just like a thing that happened. Yeah. So, but I'm just, but it was just like wild to me that they were trying to PR this no, thing no, because, no, like, if there wa- if there wasn't an issue, I wouldn't be hearing from a PR person about it. Yeah. Uh, or they would have contacted the waitress herself to say it was a guy oh excuse me uh, uh, presumption there i thought Come you on, said Jarofsky. get in the game ben um they would have uh contacted the waiter himself and said is this true we're really embarrassed if this is so or say uh in fact we left 30 percent uh but uh, what is it about mayors that they don't tip I mean, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's about mayors or what. I think people get into a certain position of power and maybe they're, because I, I don't know, I have a, I have a hard time imagining that uh, Lori Lightfoot, as private citizen, like, didn't, wouldn't tip a barista. I mean, okay, there's another set of things where, like, I think some people are conflicted about whether or not they're supposed to tip baristas, which, by the way, public service announcement, if somebody's making a thing for you, whether it's a tea or a coffee or whatever, you're supposed to tip them. That's why that's why uh, there's tip jars, you know, at various coffee places, even though they're behind the counter and they're not servicing your table like they're making a thing for you. You're supposed to tip them. So, um, I mean, uh, most of these people are not making minimum wage. And even if they are, like, minimum wage is not enough to live on. So tip tip the person. So, but all of that aside, like, I don't, whatever the debate may be around tipping baristas, if you are the mayor of the city, just tip. Yeah. Just tip. Just tip 20%. 
just like just assume you have to tip for yeah. everything. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree a hundred percent because everybody's gonna be watching you. If you don't right. tip, someone's gonna call Maya. Yeah, and then she's gonna. And tweet if you it don't out. tip, then I'm gonna tweet about it, no. and then stop, and then you're gonna have to call me and try to PR this thing. No, but the funny thing <laughs> is the PR response. Uh, in fact, we did tip. Yeah. Uh, did they actually? No, no, they didn't even. They, well, they, it was a non-denial they, 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 no, denial. No, 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 no. It was a. Den- it was like this. This, you know, uh, this is inaccurate. What? They tipped. I was like, the person that took the order says that she paid for her own thing and didn't tip. Did it? Was there a follow up to that? Uh, I mean, the follow up was like, here's the contact information for the spokesperson. Uh, oh man! I was like, all right, thanks, but you know, maybe she... somebody should maybe somebody should let Lori know that she should tip. Like, oh man, you got to tip. You I just... thought it would be like later, Lori Lightfoot, Vin mode. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but hey, I want to I want to like uh, yeah. bring up one other thing uh, about the city council meeting that Venmo. Oh, sorry, here comes the Venmo. Yeah, Lori's a little beyond millennialistic stage. I don't know if she knows about Venmo, but go on. Um, but back to the city council meeting. Uh, aside from regular folks, uh, or even people who ran for office, being confused about what's going on in those meetings. Aldermen are confused. That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, there were first time aldermen there who uh-huh. it was their first meeting as aldermen who were confused about what was going on. Daniel Laspada, uh-huh. Proco Joe's replacement, who, as far as I know, has not racked up an unpaid tab in Big Star Tacos <laughs> okay, yet. It's good to know. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, briefly <laughs> talked with him after the meeting. He had come up uh, to speak to a constituent or somebody uh, after the meeting had been adjourned. And I heard him say, he was like, they said my name in conjunction to something, and I don't understand what. what I, there's nothing I'm introducing on my first day in council. He, he was like, i got to figure out why they said my name. So it's... Um, um, it's very confusing. I, I kind of assumed that there would be some kind of, uh, you know, maybe ca- some kind of orientation for, um, you know, for for first time aldermen, sort of like the way it happens in Congress, I guess. But like, apparently not. Or, or maybe you uh, you can't cover absolutely everything in the inane uh, world of the Chicago City Council. It is absolutely confusing, and it is set up. They just recently you talked about the comment session. Uh, session. It was a lawsuit that forced them to have a comment session. They didn't want to have a comment session and that that point you made you were on a great riff and i was writing down notes to, to comment on them uh the point you made uh about the alderman not listening to what's happening is the first thing that struck me way back in the dinosaur yeah. era when i went to my first city council meeting back in i don't know the 70s or whatever it was and i just saw these all people are talking the aldermen are milling around cutting yeah, deals and they're, yeah they're no, cutting deals they're getting they're they're like everybody a lot of people were coming up and like congregating around emma mitts trying i got the impression that they were trying to get her to sign on to something to be a co-sponsor of something i was sitting pretty close to where she was and i i, I that's that's how I read the dynamic but yeah it's here's the thing uh for them for the aldermen who know that this is just a litany of like of like sidewalk fixing sign permits liquor licenses uh you know what like like awnings like that for them this is like time to do other stuff, right? But if you're a member of the public, you don't know that. Mm -hmm. And the impression it creates is that like something is going on and these guys are doing something else. And these are people that we're paying $100,000 a year for that have one meeting a month that they have to be at. And they're like doing other stuff while there's some kind of legislation happening, no matter how unimportant it is. Like you can have a separate debate about how idiotic it is that the entire city council has to approve, you know, a new 
new, you know, a new sign for a restaurant in somebody's ward. But like, it, it's the optics of it are weird, and that's what um, Cleopatra Watson, the the former ninth ward uh, aldermanic candidate, that was like her point was that like she, you know, it was just like what is going on? Like, how can these people be on their phones while something is happening? Well, uh, and this gets to the transition I want to make uh, to talk about uh, the school board. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the criticisms that I've heard so many people uh, level at the uh, the school board and pretty much all appointed bodies that meet in the city of Chicago is that the members of those bodies are, um, they, they have this stone face that they wear. So mm-hmm. they're not going to get on the phone, uh, and make calls or texts like the alderman do and pay absolutely no attention to what mm-hmm. people are saying, but they have this stone face and I bet you it's taught to them. You're not supposed to show anything. It's sort of like you're a judge and you show no emotion. So you go to a school board meeting and people are pleading their hearts out yeah. about some injustice. Yeah. Stone face. And this is what Lori Lightfoot was very good at as police board president. And, and, and I was just completely just, being stony face while people literally weren't just, just uh, like. And her defense. Breaking you were the, down. You were at the hideout the night she defended yeah. herself. Remember her defense? Yeah. But, she said it was a quasi-judicial board. and Yeah, she uh, said that she was that she didn't want to do anything that was going to get her in trouble, in legal trouble with the FOP. But right. like that, ha- you know, that's like a different thing than showing compassion. I, she's, another, she's got a very good poker face. I'll give her that. Well, actually, I'm going to talk about that when we get uh, with Rotor in the casino because she's showing that uh, poker face. Where, by not Just don't bring up Greg Hines, all right? I'm trying to get that interview. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of people sitting in the press box, Craig Hines, I'm sitting in the press box. Uh, but uh, anyway, so the point at school board, got to ask you about this one. Uh, I, and at the break, I said, I asked you point blank, do you believe in the principle of an elected school board? And you said yes. Correct. Yeah. All right. So how do you deal with the fact that this is by Chicago standards, this is probably the best school board in terms of people who have actually have a real experience dealing with the schools as either parents or advocates uh, for students or in the case of Miguel de Valle as a, a state senator who fought for more funding for the schools mm-hmm. um, that we've ever had since 1995 when they changed the law to give the mayor full control over the school board. Yeah. So you got a good appointed school board. Does that undercut the principle of an elected school board? Go. I mean, that's just a less bad, worse thing. Like what? <laughs> I mean, having the like the worst possible thing is, uh, an, you know, an appointed school board with lots of incompetent people who don't care on it. So now we have an appointed school board with uh, it's apparently better people on it who actually have some expertise and and I mean, n- knowledge of what people are dealing with and seem, you know, I, I think might actually care. So that's like. An improvement, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't think you, you can, you can feel good or better about this, uh, this new school board and feel hopeful, but like that, no, that doesn't change that the horizon that, you know, that we might probably or should be maybe shooting for is an elected school board. I mean, I actually had this conversation recently with someone about the elected school board and their point was like, well, the thing about it, if, if if we start electing a school board, then we're just going to have a bunch of like these like polit, you know, po- politically selected goons like our aldermen. Then they're then they're going to be running the schools. And and my point at the time was like, well, look at who's running the schools now. These are all, these like are just selected goons. They're the same. Who? Yeah, that's uh, was that the, the mentality of Chicagoans? My like. Well, the mentality was that here's the thing, though. It is true that the smaller and more obscure the unit of government, yeah. the more susceptible it is. 
if it's if it's full of elected folks, the more susceptible it is to people coming in there who have some kind of, you know, who could be charismatic and good at winning elections, but have absolutely no skills at governance. You know, look at who's in the White House. Yeah, but you know, there's there's a, a variety of ways you could you could introduce incompetence into the school I, I understand, board. But, but look at the our prejudice. history shows that we are great at introducing incompetence into our local governments, you. you know, yeah. even I, without the elections. I just this is so I feel like it can't get any worse. All right, let me just put it this way. <laughs> the prejudice embedded in the notion that the people who are elected by the citizens of Chicago, the representatives are goons. But the people who are appointed by a man who's elected by mm-hmm. the people are somehow or other not goons. <laughs> I'm, so it's sort of like this self, self-hatred embedded in this this uh, yeah. explanation it's a real pessimistic view of oh. it's a real it's a real it's a real bleak kind of perspective and i'm not saying you know maybe there's something to it but i also feel like we've had a, a now a long experience with having this appointed school board and we've seen what 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 has come out of it and the thing about elections is that like as we see with the city council like sometimes better people win I know. Like, by the way <laughs> the person that said the goon comment mm-hmm. where does he or she live do you know uh hyde park and and so who did he or she vote for in uh, his or her aldermanic election? Alderman? Oh, I'm not sh- I'm not sure whose ward they were in. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, no further questions. The witness may step down. <laughs> All right, Maya, that's uh we run out of time. We have the great Anthony Clark sitting on deck. He's waiting to come on. He's been listening very attentively to our conversation. And so Maya, I'm- real quick here, we got a guy on the live stream chat, Roger. He says, Maya rules. Thanks for looking out for Chicago service industry employees. All right. All Thank right, you, Roger. <laughs> she did. She stood up. <laughs> tip your waiters and waitresses. All right, If you're Maya. an elected official. <laughs> Pay your bill and tip. Anybody. Don't and be anybody. cheap. Yeah. Tip them. You know, Scotty Pippen had that reputation. Now, you know what? Let me uh, tell no you tip something. And no tip and Pippen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the people that tip are not the, the best tippers, in my experience, are people who not not necessarily rich people. I used to deliver pizzas. Let me tell you something. There was the worst thing was going to the rich neighborhoods because like those people did not tip. Yeah. It's people who know about how hard that work is. Absolutely. That actually best tipper tips. I know. My wife. Second best tipper. Right now, my father. Those two, no. And I learned from the best. You tip when you go into a restaurant. Anthony Clark tips. The worst tipper we know, Scotty Pippen. Oh, Scotty. I know. It looks like Rom and Lori are worse than the no tipping Pippen. So we'll have to get Scotty in the studio to defend himself. Uh, maybe Anthony Clark will defend Scotty Pippen. We'll see. Anyway, Maya, thank you so much. We'll see you next Tuesday. Yep. And uh, we're going to bring on Anthony Clark when we return. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F. 
F. M is in Mary. A. N is in Nancy. U. E. L. P. I. A. N. I. S. T. dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, June 4th is just moments away. Moments, I tell you. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. Couldn't have done it without you guys. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those uh, unions for jumping on board and helping us bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, June 4th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, 7th Congressional District candidate Anthony Clark will join us. And we welcome to our Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio, Sun-Times business writer. He just has to go right down the hall. Not too far of a trip for him. Dave Roeder. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. Anthony Clark in the studio. Dave Roder will be coming into the studio shortly. We'll be talking about casinos in Chicago. We have a whole list of sites, potential sites, getting all the nitty-gritty there. But uh, that's in the next segment. Anthony Clark, he is uh, a teacher at Oak Park High School, Oak Park River Forest. He's a graduate of Oak Park River Forest. Uh, he ran against Danny K. Davis last time around. He's about to announce that he's running against him this time around. Uh, there's other people in the race, so folks, don't text me and email yeah, everybody knows I love Anthony Clark. Your two favorite. Gonna bring in Keena Collins. She's also running. Right, right, Let everybody right. know that we're all invited. And I've known <laughs> Danny Davis since 1979, so I'll reach out to him as well. Uh, but uh, I won't lie to you, Anthony Clark has been a good friend of the Ben Drosky Show. Been on the show many times, so I'm happy to have him back. Before we bring him on, what you got for me, D? All right, everybody. Our president, Donald Trump, is in Great Britain today. It's day two of his three-day trip. Earlier today, he met with Theresa May. We have another Trump update. Ben Jarofsky, let's head back over to Great Britain to get the update. Anthony Clark, grab your jacket. Come with us. Tag along. We're headed to Britain. Let's go. 
that airplane. <laughs> All right, here we are. Yeah. Didn't take long, did it? Oh, no, that was fast. I know, right? I couldn't nice. even watch a movie. <laughs> no, no, no time to watch movies, all right? All right, our update here. Donald Trump just met with Brexit party leader Nigel Farage. Oh, okay. What did they discuss? Here's the tweet from Nigel Farage. <laughs> oh, he's tweeting now? Oh, yeah, everybody does it now. That's the thing to do. The tweet from Farage. Good. I'm not doing a British accent. Good meeting with President Trump. He really believes in Brexit and is loving his trip to London. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about this already. Uh, Donald Trump's presidential campaign sort of evolved from the Brexit campaign. As I said, very nationalistic, emphasized the paranoia. Uh, we're different than them. We're superior to them. That's mm. sort of the general attitude of both campaigns. Brexit was victorious. It's sort of led the way for Donald John Trump. Although, you know, one more time, folks, he was not victorious. Yes, he gets to be president, but that's because we only have this cockamamie system. Uh, He actually lost the popular vote. It's interesting. If they had the same system in England, then Brexit would have been defeated Hmm. because Brexit lost. If they did their Brexit strategy the way we elect our president, they would still be in the Euro- East, the European Union. They're still in it anyway. They haven't negotiated an out. Yeah, uh, but strategy. yeah, they haven't. But I just point that out, Republicans out there. Very weird system we have electing our presidents. Our next Donald Trump update is kind of funny here. Uh, president Trump also confirmed that the U.S. would want to include access to the NHS national health service market in any U.S.-U.K. trade talks. But the rumor going around London today, yeah, Donald Trump has no clue what NHS stood yeah, for. Yeah, who, d- wait, Donald Trump was pr- proposing that, or who yeah, was yeah. Prop- When asked if he agreed with Johnson that the entire economy should be on the table in trade talks, including the NHS, Trump replied, remember, rumor is, Theresa May had to clue him in on what NHS meant. I think everything with a trade deal is on the table. When you're, leading, when you're dealing in trade, everything is on the table. So NHS or anything else, <laughs> wow. a lot more than that. But everything will yeah, be <laughs> on the table. Absolutely. He is great good. Impression. Yeah, no, he's good. He's very good. Oh, you nice. Lori Lightfoot. In, in, uh, in you, the, you're not getting me in that. <laughs> Come on. Let's hear the Lori Lightfoot. Knock anyway. It off. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, hey, that's the update, everybody. All right. Now let's uh, go back to the United States. Oh. Man, right, jet, jet lag. lag. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Same time. And we're back. Same Z's. All right. Very good. Thank you for that update. Uh, Donald Trump is utterly <laughs> insane, and he is our president. Whoa. Uh, Anthony Clark Whoa. is in the studio. Uh, thoughts on Donald Trump? Let's just start right there, Anthony. Well, first and foremost, Ben. Uh, thanks again for having me on. Truly appreciate it. You are correct. I am a huge tipper. I just want to get that. Oh, let's out of get the way. that out. Let's get yeah. out of the way. Okay. All right. Yeah. I believe in twenty percent. I always tip, no matter what. 20% is standard for me. 20% before or after the tax? Ooh. I, don't, I just pay attention to the total. That's my man. Yeah, that is the correct the answer. So uh, ding, ding, ding. 20% so, all the time. I've mm-hmm. actually ended friendships with individuals who fail to tip. Now, were you, in the, uh, uh, were you ever a waiter? No, I wasn't. I just believe in, you know, you, you, you reward people in a sense. So you show appreciation for someone's service mm-hmm. because they don't have to do that. It's part of their job, of course, uh, but they don't have to present you with great service. They don't have to be polite. Uh, and I think our, our wait staff, you know, they should be valued. They should be appreciated. So I appreciate anyone who, you know, works for tips. Well, no, it, it, there's this general attitude. Now we're on a tangent with a tangent, but I there want to get go. back to you running for uh, I, Congress. I have to make it clear. 20% standard. Yeah, but there's this general attitude uh, that so many people have. Uh, like, for instance, you go into McDonald's, uh, and the person that greets you and uh, takes your order, etc., 
that is a challenging job. And I've heard so many people dismiss it. I can think of somebody in particular right now who should be ashamed of himself, but I'm not going to name his name because mm-hmm. he's young and impressionable. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's you. No, it's definitely not Dr. D. Uh, okay. And, okay. Uh, but there's this general attitude that people have that, you know, the waiters, the waitresses, uh, the people that greet you at the counter or Subway or McDonald's are somehow lesser. You know not what I'm all. saying? Yeah, and, not uh, at all. I think that's the incorrect narrative. And I mean, I, I think about us going throughout our day, how a smile or a, a, a pleasant greet could just change your entire mood. Yeah. You know, so I think it's important. I think it sets the tone. Uh, so, no, they're no less than us. So they definitely deserve tips. Absolutely. They definitely deserve to be appreciated. So listeners out there, if you're not tipping 20 percent, check yourself. Rethink it. I, I'm with you 100 percent. And then uh, shame, 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 Lori Lightfoot. If that story is true, you should tip. Uh, you're in the mayor. Everybody's looking at you and it's going to get tweeted out. All right. Anthony, <laughs> I mean, it's just even if That's it's just you're doing it for your own personal interest. Right. Tip. Right. Uh, all right. Now, let's talk about this. Uh, you are, in fact, going to run again in the 7th Congressional District. Is that correct? correct. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. We're running again. Uh, we did a soft launch uh, a couple months ago. You know, uh, everything's churning out now. I just did. Actually, some door knocking earlier today. Uh, been on some phone calls, so it's looking great. You know, right. our campaign launch events coming up June fifteenth. Now, explain to people where the seventh congressional is. <laughs> so, good old gerrymandering. So, the seventh congressional district is huge. So, uh, if you're looking at a map, if you Google it right now or not, just believe me when I tell you this. Uh, so, you're talking about Inglewood. You know, it goes down into the South Loop, West Loop. Uh, you're talking uh, Austin community. You know, a bit of Humble Park. Uh, you know, East Garfield. Uh, uh, Oak Park, Forest Park, River Forest, Westchester, Hillside, a little bit of LaGrange, uh, Bellwood, Maywood. Uh, if I'm forgetting anywhere, I think I already said Hillside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. So it spans, you know, a vast uh, area uh, within uh, the Chicagoland, uh, you know, map. And you can literally cross a street and everything changes. I think that's what's interesting about the district. You could go from an area like Oak Park, uh, which is middle class, you know, upper middle class, and literally cross Austin, and you go into an area that you know lacks, you know, certain opportunity and lacks certain investment. You still have wonderful people fighting uh, for change and fighting for opportunity, but literally an area code or zip code within this district could help to determine uh, your future, which you know, is it, ridiculous. Historically, the seventh congressional district has been the quote-unquote West Side congressional district. Curtis Collins, George. Collins were the Congress people from like the 70s and the 80s. Uh, Danny K. Davis has been the congressman, I want to say, since like 96 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I need a very long time. And you're right, uh, through gerrymandering uh, and demographic changes and an an attempt to keep it a majority black district, they've stretched it into Englewood and they've moved it into Oak Park and they've moved it all these other uh, western suburban districts. So it doesn't really represent or it doesn't resemble, I should say, the district that existed, let's say, in 1976 or right, something like that. Correct. And, uh, you know, incumbents like Danny K. Davis, they depend upon, you know, that gerrymandering. They depend upon, uh, you know, the DCCC and, you know, the Democratic establishment essentially guaranteeing them almost a win. You know, I think that's the mindset that many incumbents have. Uh, he knows he counts on the West Side, the Austin community, which, you know, up until recently was the largest, you know, area within Chicago. Many individuals are moving out of Austin, moving out of the West Side, moving out of the state of Illinois, of course, mm-hmm. uh, due to a lot of nuance and issues that exist. Uh, but they're not working hard. You know, they're not boots to the ground. I think they're out of touch with many of the issues that we're currently facing. Uh, so we ran in 2018. Of course, we were nominated by brand new Congress, just as Democrats, 
uh, you know, you may have heard of, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, you know, so many wonderful uh, congresswomen and congresspersons that are representing right now. Uh, so based upon that momentum that's been built, uh, based upon what we learned from 2018, it was no question that we we're going to come back in 2020 and continue to fight for the wonderful people of the 7th Congressional District. Now, in terms of the issues themselves in the campaign mm-hmm. uh, or in that district, what are some of the issues that differentiate yourself Mm-hmm. Uh, from incumbent Danny Davis, who has a reputation for being a very liberal congressman. Yeah, I think, again, you know, what I tell people, there's a staunch, there's a clear difference between voting often the right way and fighting the right way. And if that makes sense, what I'm going to explain is, you know, Danny K. Davis, you know, I thank him for his service. You know, I'm not a negative person. I'm not here to attack him. Uh, but it's truly time for change. He's an individual that often will shift with the wind in a sense. You know, if a policy is being pushed, if the DCCC is pushing something, if the establishment is pushing something, you mo- more than likely may see his name attached to it. You know, Medicare for all. He's attached his name to single payer health care. Uh, you know, I even think he signed on to the Green New Deal. Uh, but again, what is he actually leading? What is he moving forward? forward and what is he boots to the ground fighting for in our communities and I think that's the difference between our campaign and his reign over the 7th Congressional District we're not only saying yes we believe in single-payer health care and if it comes up for vote you know we'll vote for it we're saying we believe in single-payer health care we believe in the Green New Deal Uh, we believe in the legalization of cannabis we could go on and on but guess what we're also going to fight locally and nationally to move these issues forward to guarantee that we receive these things does that make sense Ben Uh, well the 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 connecting point uh, is, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your no, mouth no, that please. you're you're going to be part of a larger uh, movement. Exactly, it's not just going to be about the, who your one vote in the in the I said city council in the Congress. Congressional uh, in in it, you're going to be part of a large movement tied in, let's say, with Ocasio Cortez, tied in with Bernie Sanders, tied in with other right uh, progressives, whatever they're called, lefties, liberals. Yeah, it's not just going to. Is, yeah, that, no. is that what you're saying? Are we no, definitely, because I, I, I believe, you know, again, I don't want to get too deep. I know we were at limited time, but we're in an ideological war. You know, I'm a veteran. I'm a disabled military veteran. But we're truly fighting for, I believe, uh, the soul of our country. And we have individuals that within a capitalistic society that I believe is built upon white supremacy that are truly invested in maintaining superiority and maintaining oppression of uh, multiple groups of individuals. So, I mean, look at the abortion fight right now. You know, that's not about babies. That's about disempowering women, uh, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we need individuals that it's not good enough just to sit back. It's not good enough just to sit back and wait for somebody else to push something forward and then attach your name to it. You actually have to be out there. You actually have to be fighting and you actually have to be bold. And I think that's what we're seeing right now with AOC getting to the office. Who was talking about the Green New Deal outside of the Sunrise Movement and many individuals that recognize climate change? But it took someone fresh. It took someone getting in, not being attached to the establishment to truly speak truth to power and push these issues forward. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think that's what we bring to the table as well. Now, when you mentioned uh, the abortion issue, it flashed back to something that I can't remember who it was that was on this show. And I would like to give the person credit because uh, it was a very, oh, Sam Holloway, uh, my old friend Sam Holloway, he's a, sort of a Green Party voter. But he said, in his humble opinion, that the, uh, the, the right to choose took a huge defeat in the 70s when Democrats joined Republicans to help pass the Hyde Amendment, which is an amendment that uh, prohibits federal dollars, Medicaid dollars, to be spent mm-hmm. on a 
abortions because when the when the Democrats agreed to that, that was effectively uh, making abortion a procedure that uh, that was linked to income, right. that was linked to class, right. as opposed to advocating for the principle of a woman's right, right to right. choose. Right to you choose. are limiting that. So uh, on that issue alone, would you? try to abolish the Hyde Amendment? Would you try to make uh, Medicaid uh, payments cover uh, abortions? No, definitely. You know, again, I'm for single-payer health care. I'm for Medicare for all, universal coverage. Uh, So I believe that abortion should be directly part of medical treatment. You know, again, it's part of your health care. And let's be honest here. You know, Republicans, oftentimes when they're trying to push initiatives and push legislation, they look for gaslighting, you know, hot button issues, Mm -hmm. you know, Planned Parenthood and so many wonderful institutions out there, they do way more than simply perform abortions. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about education. We're talking about community outreach. Uh, So many women and others receive their health care treatment and information from institutions like Planned Parenthood. And if it was truly about decreasing the number of abortions, that opposition, uh, then why we have so many homeless children out there in the world? Why aren't they speaking up when our children are being gunned down in schools and gunned down in the streets on a daily basis? Mm Uh, you know, why are our mental health facilities and schools closing? If it's truly about the children, yeah. just don't care about them when they're embryos. You know, let's care about them when they're in society and they're walking these streets looking for opportunity, mm-hmm. but often are coming uh, against closed doors. Now, if you are a congressman, if you were elected to the 7th Congressional, let's move on to another issue that uh, Congress is facing, impeachment. Uh, how strong would, well, well, first of all, what would your uh, position be uh, on impeachment? Yeah, and I think we've talked about this in the past, and it's always so interesting to me. So, I mean, one, 100%, I do believe that Donald Trump, I mean, if we believe in accountability, clearly he's engaged in in acts that are impeachable. And I do believe he should be impeached. Uh, But what my concern is and what I'm often afraid of is possibly the individuals that are out there that believe that once Donald Trump is impeached, the issues go away, in a sense. Uh, But again, he is a symptom. He is a symptom. And when you just simply focus on treating symptoms, the illness remains. We have to address the root cause, because if we appease Trump, sure, he's gone. But who's next? Pence? Who's next in line? Someone else who believes in the same things that Donald Trump does, but they're just not as clownish. You know, so they're more strategic. Uh, They're more nuanced in the sense of how they engage and how they try to push for a policy. I think one thing Trump has done is just simply made individuals uncomfortable. You know, many felt we were in a post-racial society after Barack Obama took office. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, definitely Donald Trump should indeed be impeached. But we need to move beyond that, not simply just focus on the symptom and identify the root cause, which, again, I believe is white supremacy. Talk about that, the root cause going to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, So, again, uh, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm a history teacher, special education history teacher in high school. I teach other subjects as well. Uh, But again, I'm making nice statements. I'm not going to overgeneralize and speak for anyone else. But I believe in a capitalistic society, which we live in, it's inherent that you have a top and a bottom. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's truly you mentioned it earlier in regards to, you know, women's rights. It's about class. You know, I believe you have the extreme upper class. And then we have everyone else. Mm -hmm. But I think what's been mastered throughout history is pushing forward these social constructs of race, of gender, of ability, so on and so forth, to the point where we keep everyone outside of that upper class divided, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's, I always say this, I think it's Lyndon, I need to look it up, because I always say I think it's Lyndon B. Johnson who says, and I'm going to paraphrase, but if you could convince the poorest white man that he's better than, you know, the next black man, he will not only support you, but he will empty his pockets for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I believe you have individuals that support Trump, that support the Republican Party, 
often to their own individual detriment, but they're supporting that collective thought of maintaining supremacy, maintaining superiority. Uh, so anything that goes on in our society it's to that aim. You know, the Republican Party plays a role in that. And even though I'm a Democrat, the Democratic Party plays a role in that as well. How so? Uh, because, again, I think there's, it's impossible to say as the Democratic Party, because, of course, in the 60s, you know, majority black individuals shifted from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. You know, there's a lot of nuance there as well in the 30s with the New Deal and so on and so forth. The integration of schools, uh, you know, the Southern strategy. We could talk about a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, but look at our society, Ben. As a collective, as a collective, how have oppressed classes of individuals truly been empowered? If we look at the 7th Congressional District, there's no way you can tell me that the Austin community, the Inglewood community, Auburn Gresham, back of the yards, East Garfield, so on and so forth, we could go on and on. How has the Democratic Party's leadership truly empowered and invested in communities of color and underprivileged communities? They count on our vote. You know, they come around when it's election time, mm -hmm. they put down their signs, they may pay a little, you know, I call it payola, mm -hmm. you know, they may pay off some people here and there to maintain their status, but how have we truly benefited? I think at the end of the day, because the Republican Party shifted, they don't count on the black vote. It doesn't really matter to them, so they're clear. But the Democratic Party consistently provides optics of change and empowerment, but all it truly is is, again, individualism, like the Republican Party. So in a sense, Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. Everybody was super excited, including myself, to see a black man become president. Mm -hmm. He and Michelle now, their family, they're celebrated as individuals. But how have their individual accomplishments and him becoming president, how did that essentially help the black community, the brown community as a collective? Do you think it did? I don't think it did. You know, again, and I'm not directly blaming Barack Obama, but I'm saying that's the game that's played. They uplift, indivi they uplift individuals. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the collective is maintained in a status quo type field. And it's inevitable. If you maintain status quo, you regress. Um, you know, so I just feel like at the end of the day, that's the society that we're in. You know, we have to speak truth to power and understand that if we really want to make a difference, you can't talk. You know, we can't be moderates. You know, we can't be neoliberals. You know, if you want to use labels, we have to progress. We have to be progressive and move forward and push for policies and push for ideas that truly recognize human rights, human dignity and human empowerment. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the Democratic Party has done a great job in doing so. All right. Let's talk about some things that happened on the local level uh, just recently over the last couple of days, the last week or so uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, and it doesn't directly deal with what you'll be facing in uh, Congress, but there's some overlap because it has mm -hmm. to deal with the notion of how we are going to fund government. Uh, everybody realizes, whether they want to admit it or not, that you have to come up with a way to raise money to fund government, and, and the struggle is uh, how to do it, because there's always going to be opposition. Uh, but one to taxation, opposition to taxation. But it clearly, we doubled down on uh, what I consider regressive taxes over the last week, mm -hmm. uh, expanding gambling, mm -hmm. uh, and that's just a loser's game, gambling. It's set up so that if you play it, you lose. So mm -hmm. automatically, it's like <laughs> you're, you're, you're taxing suckers. You should just call it a sucker tax. Uh, and uh, we legalized reefer, and uh, that's, a flat tax across the board. It affects everybody, no matter where you buy the reefer. There's not going to be a progressive reefer tax. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I 
I'm for the legalization of marijuana, and I believe I'm not for I, I'm for the legalization of gambling. I don't think we should prohibit gambling because uh, I think those are loser propositions. But I am concerned that we're heading more and more toward more regressive forms of taxation mm-hmm. because it was the easiest to pass. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, general thoughts on this subject? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point, and, and I see where you're going. Uh, I am too, 100% for the legalization of cannabis. Uh, you know, I was a proponent of it uh, past election cycle 2018 when Danny K. Davis was not. He was not for the legalization. I'm a medical card holder, you know, so I'm a cannabis user myself as a disabled military veteran. Uh, so, one, I do believe that legalizing will bring in, of course, an influx of money. But my concern is where is that money going to go? You know, where is that money going to be allocated to in regards to taxation? Uh, because, again, first and foremost, it has to be legalization with a focus on empowering those communities most impacted by its prohibition and most impacted by its, the war on drugs. Uh, because often when you go into a re- when you go into a regulated industry, those that are frozen out are those that are oftentimes impacted when it wasn't regulated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the black and brown community that are disproportionately represented in our prison systems, you know, and data showing right now, studies showing right now, they're being frozen out of the industry, you know, whether it's medical industry or whether it's the legal cannabis industry. So that's my main concern. I do believe that the influx of money will be beneficial. I do know I've read, you know, in regards to statewide, you know, of course, a lot of that money will go into our educational systems. Of course, we have a big pension issue uh, that Illinois constantly kicks down the road, uh, kicks that can down the road and never really wants to address. Uh, But I'm for that. I'm also for the legalization of gambling. Uh, I'm not as good of an ex. I'm not a gambler myself. Uh, so it's interesting what you shared with me about being a, a loser's tax in a sense, a loser's uh, proposition. But I'm for that as well. But I do agree that if we're going to address our budgeting issues, I don't have the answer. I'll be honest with you. You know, again, I don't have the answers in front of me, but we do have to get creative, uh, you know, because I think at the end of the day, what happens is we identify oftentimes regressive taxes. We don't allocate the money for where it should go. Look at the... Um, uh, the lottery. Mm-hmm. What year was that when the lottery, when we... Uh, That's stretching my 70s, was, mid-70s. I looked at Dave. Yeah, the, the other old guy. The 70s. It was, was mid-70s. I remember so, that one. So yeah. the lottery, yeah. when that came yeah. out, that was supposed to be a huge <laughs> influx of yeah. money. But I think if we look at it now... You know, a lot of things happened. A lot of it was reallocated for other things. It wasn't. Yeah, it was supposed to solve our education. It was supposed to fund schooling. Exactly. Anybody over the age of 50 goes, what about the lottery money? So I think the biggest issue is not necessarily taxing, uh, but where those taxes going. And I do believe in progressive taxes. I do believe the wealthy should pay their fair share. uh, And I don't think they're doing so. So I know there's a lot of issues right now with JB pushing forward, uh, you know, his tax plan. But if you make more, I do believe you have a greater responsibility to pay more. All right. Uh, A couple times you've mentioned... uh, uh, that you're disabled, a military vet, and uh, tell folks a little bit about that. Uh, sure. So I served six years active duty in the United States Air Force in 2007, and it's it's interesting. I'm I'm not laughing at, at this, but it's kind of funny. The night before I was supposed to be deployed, uh, a group of friends and I went out uh, in downtown Seattle, Washington, and you know just to have some fun, just to send me off. I was going to be gone for about a year, and you know oftentimes you're young, you have money, you know you're in, a, in a, someone else's community, someone else's city. Uh, so you know they didn't take too kindly to you know young military guys being around and having fun so a, a local gang actually shot up our vehicle uh so i was shot i was grazed across the neck and chest and my best friend who was driving the vehicle was shot twice mm-hmm. and uh you know because of that of course i didn't deploy it was a huge issue uh you know huge investigation you know thankfully they were brought to justice uh but i developed ptsd like symptoms from that 
Um, and, you know, I have Bichette's disease as well, which is an autoimmune deficiency that was from working with chemicals in the military. I was an airplane mechanic. And because of that, I was medically discharged in 2009. Uh, you know, and I, and I tell people all the time, I think it's important to be extremely transparent. I think our veterans are underserved currently. You know, this current president and so many, you know, they espouse patriotism. Uh, but how can you espouse patriotism and we're mistreating our veterans, uh, you know, whether it's in regard to mental health, whether it's in regard to housing, whether it's in regard to job opportunities. It's a huge issue. And they're even trying to move to privatize a lot of our services within uh, the VA. You know, mm-hmm. I go to Heinz Veterans Center, but I'm open about my mental health walk uh, in regards to attending therapy sessions. I think it's extremely important. And what's also important, the connection, Ben, uh, and I'm going to see what you think about this. I'm a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I see a lot of the same symptoms that I had from essentially getting shot and seeing someone shot directly in front of me in our children, mm-hmm. in our students on a daily basis. You know, they haven't been to war. You know, they haven't been in war zones. They haven't been exposed. But they display a lot of the same symptoms that I have from being a veteran. And it's so interesting, you know, that nuance that's involved. And I think a lot of our children, a lot of our youth are self-medicating. Uh, and we don't realize that because of the issues that they're dealing Self-medicating with. Self-medicating with what? Uh, cannabis, you know, uh, over-the-counter medications, alcohol at times. You know, as a teacher, I go above and beyond. I just don't clock in, clock out. You know, so I have so many students that come to me, you know, that are battling with mental health mm-hmm. issues. You know, and I want to shout out uh, Best of Proviso Township. They're an organization in the Maywood community, uh, Proviso Township community, which is in the district. Within the past year, they've had over six deaths by suicide of young adults. So many of our young adults are struggling, but yet we have mental health facility closures. We have school closures. We don't have before and after school activities. So this all matters, mm-hmm. you know, so we have to be open about it. We have to talk about it. And again, therapy and medical cannabis has been a lifesaver for me personally. Uh, well, listen, I couldn't agree with you more on this issue. And I, I don't want to take this deep dive here because uh, I got Dave Roder. I'm going to bring him on. But oh, I, I, I the, the, to me, the cruelest thing that Mayor Rahm did, the most cynical thing Mayor Rahm did when he got in office, that first budget closed six of those mental health facilities that are in high crime, poor neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You talk about people who are under siege when there's gun. They, we should have been providing. We should have been doubling down Thank on you. the amount of attention. And it, it was just so cruelly cynical and so many people in the city of Chicago looked the other way when it, when it happened no uh, because it was like a power play he was the new mayor he had so much power nobody questioned it nobody nobody uh, challenged him on it it's, so it's uh, I, I do I am glad that we're we seem to have evolved as a society mm-hmm. that a person running for office can talk the way you just did now yeah definitely because real quickly you know what you just said is extremely important because what do we see often you know when we're looking at the news we have so many individuals within chicago and without throughout the nation who get so upset when large groups of teens enter into the downtown area you know they're on michigan avenue you know they're in the areas where there's tiff money so on and so forth where we invest but again we're just focused on symptoms we don't pay attention to the root causes why are our teens you know in droves going downtown with nothing to do because we haven't invested in them we haven't invested in their communities so let's track back and look at the root causes Mental health facility closures, school closures, lack of job opportunities. You go to the west side of Chicago, what do you see, Ben? Churches, liquor stores, and currency exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, keep us prayed up, drunk, and broke. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at the root causes of things and truly understand that this is, there's no quick fix. 
There's no placing 10 or 100 or 1,000 more police officers in the street. You have to really invest in community policing. You have to really invest in social and economic investment in these communities if you truly want to see change, and it's the long game. All right. Uh, Anthony Clark is his name. He's a teacher at Oak Park uh, River Forest High School in Oak Park. He's a candidate for uh, uh, the 7th Congressional District. Danny Kenyatta Davis is the incumbent. Kena uh, is also running uh, for Kenny Collins is also running as well. Any other candidates? I haven't seen their name. Yeah, there's pop. there's a there's two more that have announced. So there's a pastor in Westchester, and then there's a, another uh, woman from the west side of Chicago that just announced as well. So it's looking to, to shape up to be a pretty pretty, pretty. big size race. All right, and uh, so I'm gonna try to be as inclusive as I can, bring as many. Oh, I know you're getting text messages. Uh, yeah, I know they're coming in. Now. I bet. What about my campaign? Uh oh. But I'll, I'll, I will say this: uh, it's a very important district. I always say this about uh, really Democratic districts because we can afford to have a real progressive in a progressive district. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know. You don't have to mess around with uh, uh, the, uh, you know, sort of mainstream centrist stuff because it's a very liberal district. If folks want to get in touch with you, uh, Anthony, definitely give, give us the uh, info. appreciate it. So my website and I always age myself. The kids tell me not to say www dot anymore. You don't have to. But again, generational. Oh, uh, man, I should have had the, the weekend been had with that one. So www dot vote Anthony Clark dot com. That's Clark with no E. So that's www dot vote Anthony Clark dot com. And if you want to join me on my social media pages is just anthony v clark uh we have a lot of fun you know we get out there so we're fighting and again uh you know we're actually walking the entire district i want to end with that join our page i'm actually walking the entire seventh congressional district uh the 9th of june you know so we're starting in inglewood we're going to be going facebook live because we think it's important to break down those stigmas and barriers and have individuals get outside of their privilege and comfort zones and see what's really going in our community going on in our communities and understand that we have people that are truly fighting uh for their communities. Wait, you're going to walk the whole district I'm walking the entire on one district. day. Yes, until I'm done. I did it last time as well. You know, we, we filmed it, et cetera. But I think it's important, again, because knowledge is power. Yeah. We have to be able to educate individuals on the importance of bridge building. And we have to knock down these metaphorical walls that exist between communities and certain districts. All right. That's Anthony Clark. Uh, Dave Roder is my guest. He's sitting on deck. We're going to bring him on real soon to talk about casinos in Chicago. Thank you very much, Anthony. appreciate you coming no, down. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. Thank we'll you so be right much. back after this. The Ben Drosky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writer. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.
Hey, today's Ben Jarofsky show is also brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, it is amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. Guys, it's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. This next part may be a bit biased because they're sponsors, but Green Element Resale is the best thrift shop in the world. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Anthony Clark has left the building. Anthony Clark has left the building, but David Roeder is in his place. He's sitting right across the table from me, ace business reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. We're going to bring him on to take the deep dive of casinos in the city. Before we do that, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. Our president is in the UK today. It's day two <laughs> of his three-day trip. We've been going back and forth to the UK throughout the show. I think we're done with that bit now. Wait, Ben? Where is your iHeart Nancy Pelosi thermos? <laughs> Did you leave it in the UK? Good God. Let me go back to the UK real quick. <laughs> well, that's a fast plane hey, you got there. Nancy Pelosi. I do great. love Nancy Pelosi. All right, great. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> great. I got the thermos. Okay, we're good to go. Now let's go back to the United States. My God, Ben. Remember your. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, we're back in the U.S. There's your thermos, dude. Okay, thank you. My God, quit oh, leaving I love stuff. you, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, quit leaving uh, stuff everywhere. Okay, some quick national <laughs> updates here. All right, first up here. Oh, this is a good one. Oh. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff called mm. Attorney General William Barr, quote, the second most dangerous man in the country. Well, and number one would be, let me guess, Donald John Trump. Yeah, I would think so. Uh-huh. All right, so we got that. Former Vice President Joe Biden is asking bundlers to raise up to $100,000 to become members of his National Finance Committee, CNBC wow. reports. The four tiers of fundraisers list on an invite obtained by the network. Uh, the Advocate, the Protector, a Unifier must rake in $100,000 this year. A Power Raiser must acquire 10 unique contributions of $100 or more each a month. Each of these donations must be from a different new-to-you donor, according to the innovation. So if you're in an organization and you got, like, I don't know, tons of money to uh, <laughs> give up, why don't you hit up Joe Biden, huh? He's looking for you. Also help pay my rent. That'd be fantastic if you got a lot of money. Seriously. <laughs> okay. And one more here. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said there is, quote, not much support among Republicans for the tariffs Donald Trump has announced against Mexico, the New York Times reports. Duh. That, hey, Mitch McConnell, that would fall under the category of, duh. Republicans are supposed to be free market uh, believers. And why they're suddenly finding themselves uh, slapping tariffs uh, on all the all these goods from China and uh, Canada and Mexico, I do not know. But they've lost their collective mind in the age of Donald Trump. That's a whole other conversation I might want to have. I might want to have with David Roeder <laughs> some other time. You know a few things about uh, trade issues and tariffs, et cetera, don't you? A think? few, I'm afraid, yes. Uh, uh, but yeah. uh, you get too deep into that, man, it just uh, you, you know, warps your mind. It, so, it, you it does warp your mind. Uh, and trying to find some consistency there because it's become such a political issue right now. Republicans, again, traditionally have been against the use of tariffs uh, as a, a, a tool. They've been for free markets, been for free trade, supposedly, and Donald Trump has flipped the switch a little bit, and Democrats don't quite know what to do with that. You know, and and Republicans are are uh, traditionally, uh, I don't know, anti-Russia. 
uh, and all of a sudden, I don't know where they are on that anymore. Well, know? they're they're afraid to do anything that would alienate Trump and get it themselves uh, targeted with a tweet. Uh, anyway, David Roder is my guest. We're going to shift from uh, Donald Trump and free trade, talk about casinos in Chicago and what went down uh, this last week in Springfield where they voted to uh, give the city a casino. But before I do... Uh, David Roeder is one of the few journalists in town who has been around at things as long as I have. And uh, <laughs> what are you trying to say? Uh, he he is a seasoned vet. That's oh, what I'm trying right. to say. Uh, and like me, he's also a, a very much a big believer in uh, journalism, journalistic unions. Uh, he was my union leader for a while there when when we were forming our union yes. at the Reader, uh, and I think this is the first time you've been on my show, David. Not as a union person, but as you're back in your old ones. Back with the Chicago Sun Times. Yes. So explain to folks who think of you as a union person, sort of the uh, the career path that you've had. You were you were a journalist back in the day. Yes, this is my second uh, tour of duty with the uh, with the Sun <laughs> tour Times. Of duty, yeah. I, uh, I uh, worked for the paper for 17 years up until. Until uh, 2013, I uh, I left at that time to go to work for uh, then Governor Pat Quinn uh, in the Commerce Department. After uh, that ended with uh, with Rauner, I uh, started working for the union at the Chicago Sun Times and other places like the Reader, uh, which is the Chicago News Guild, mm-hmm. helping them organize. Uh, we organized the Chicago Tribune while I was uh, there for them. And uh, the uh, we also helped save the uh, the, the Sun Times in a, uh, uh, a a big behind the scenes role in getting a union friendly ownership at the paper. Uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago now, they uh, they asked me if I'd consider coming back and uh, writing about some uh, major development issues in the city, other big business issues, and uh, it uh, it was a good time to be uh, to be back at the paper. Uh, so uh, so I did. Yeah, you're back and you're covering your old beat. Uh, back in the day, uh, David would be writing about TIF deals downtown, all kinds of business deals downtown. But he also had this column I love. I, I, I don't know if you're going to bring it back. I was a stock picking column. People don't know this about me. I love the stock market, Dave. Let's keep that on the download because <laughs> I don't do so well with it. But anyway, uh, I got these gambling issues that I'm, I'm working on. But uh, you has that was like a monkey. Yes. Uh, talk, tell I, folks uh, about yes, it. Yeah. I, uh, I had a, uh, a monkey uh-huh. picking stocks. <laughs> yeah. I, the uh, monkey was killing me, know, by in, the way. Yeah, in those days, <laughs> yeah. you, you could actually get stock market listings in the paper. Yes, you could. And so I would uh, just put a pen in the monkey's hand and have him mark the stocks and say that was uh, that was the monkey's picks. Total random. Total random, and uh, the monkey did very, very. <laughs> he did well. better than me. Random, <laughs> as uh, you know, others have shown that if you do the dartboard, yeah, you, you probably do pretty well. You probably beat most of the experts. Or the cat's you know. paws. We put ink on a cat's paws and have the cat walk across the stock page. Exactly, but it, uh, but the, uh, the the monkey was uh, was, was that very monkey. adept. He was a very wise little creature. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to bring the monkey back? Oh, uh, you know, I uh, I haven't thought about that. Talk to it. Fusco. Yeah, talk to Fusco. Uh, <laughs> Fusco's like, oh, no, not that monkey again. <laughs> All right, let's talk casinos. Yes. Uh, you have a story in the paper you did with Mark Brown and Fran Spielman. It's in today's bright one. Uh, pick a site, any site, and then there's the asterisk. Just not the Loop or McCormick <laughs> Place. Pretty funny stuff. Gov's two cents on Chicago Casino. Uh, let's set it up by saying sure. what exactly did the state uh, legislators and the governor do this weekend? 
Yes, as uh, part of uh, uh, their, you know, massive, you know, flurry of activity and some tax increases, mm-hmm. uh, they they passed a casino expansion bill that uh, allows new casino licenses uh, in in various locations uh, around the state, uh, but importantly, a big one for Chicago. It would be about four thousand gaming positions, which is like more than uh, three times as large as any single other casino in the state. Um, so it, uh, it would be a large operation. No, uh, nothing in the legislation about where it will be. So this uh, triggers uh, a land rush in Chicago. I can, I can almost smell the greenbacks floating in the air. And that's apart from the betting issue. This is a, a, you know, a real estate investment issue. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the question becomes, you know, uh, where's this going to go? The legislature passed it. Pritzker's going to sign it, uh, and he's uh, he already has kind of laid down his marker on this. He says he wants to see a Chicago casino outside of downtown, you know, benefiting theoretically, benefiting uh, a neighborhood that's. Uh, that's been impoverished mm-hmm. or that's been bypassed in, in, in so much of the, the building boom. Oh, okay. Uh, go ahead. So, uh, so that is, uh, that, that, that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, the Pritzker uh, parameters on this um, seem to indicate a few sites kind of bubbling up in the conversation. Uh, one is the, uh, the old Michael Reese property mm-hmm. uh, around 31st and the lake. The other is uh, the uh, the Southwark site, uh, roughly eighty uh, third in the lake. Mm-hmm. The uh, another one is uh, is around Lake Calumet, uh, where there's uh, ample property that the uh, the, the port district owns, mm-hmm. and uh, and could be used for uh, for some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, either a, a, a big casino and some other you know related things attached to it, and that is kind of the key here. I mean, a casino by itself, this is what some real estate people tell me, uh, it doesn't have a great economic spinoff. And it, in, in some ways, it can have uh, kind of a deadening effect on the surrounding community. Even. How so? Well, I, uh, I, I quoted uh, one guy, uh, Stephen Friedman, a, a planner in the paper today, calling it by itself a casino is just a big concrete cash register. Mm-hmm. Uh, people tend not to go outside the casino to spend money. Now, if you've got other things, an entertainment district, theaters around it, uh, some, uh, you know, some other stuff to, to draw people and families, you might be talking about something different. All of the uh, the sites that I mentioned have ample room, but they've uh, you know they've all got uh, downsides mm-hmm. too potentially. Yeah, uh, and now before we get into these particular sites, their pros and cons, uh, talk a little bit about the opposition to putting a casino in Chicago in the first place. For as long as I can remember, people, politicians have been talking about putting a casino in Chicago. David, I remember this going back to the days of Harold Washington and uh, the first years of Richie Daly's uh, tenure as mayor. And there was always opposition to having a casino in Chicago. They could never get it through the General Assembly. What changed that uh, people were open to having a casino uh, in the city of Chicago? 
what changed, I think, for for the sake of the General Assembly was the state's budget position. I mean, it, it <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, it needs any money it can it can scarf up anywhere. You know, 133 billion dollars in pension debt uh, that makes some people more open uh, to uh, to a casino. You were speaking earlier about it being a sucker's tax. Oh, it's and such a sucker's tax. Yes, there's there's always been you know that that strong sentiment uh, among casino critics. In addition, there's always been a feeling that it, it somehow detracts from just kind of the, the, the business orientation of downtown. People are here to work. Uh, they're, they're here to really put their, sh- you know, their shoulders <laughs> into it. It's not. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so there's, there has also been a, uh, a debate about, you know, certainly where to put it. The uh, you know the the traditional argument has been you know put it downtown help the the restaurants and the hotels uh, do their thing. Uh, there have been suggestions about putting it uh, on or near McCormick Place, mm-hmm. but some of the, uh, the the convention people don't like it. Uh, uh, put on they they, uh, they they put on shows there. They want their people to be attending their exhibitions and their programs. They don't want them at the the blackjack table. Yeah. Um, so there, there's there's always been that issue about where do you put it? You know, Ben, you've probably you, you've probably felt this before as you know a guy who's you know where we've both been at this for a while. Yeah, veterans. But so so when I, uh, I had to do the uh, the, the casino story uh, the other day, I uh-huh. said to myself, you know. I've done this story before, <laughs> yeah. and indeed, yeah. one of them, you know, was that... <laughs> uh, was in 2011, okay. uh, where I wrote about possible casino sites, and uh-huh. I, uh, I quoted uh, uh, Paul O'Connor, who's a, an urban strategist with the Skidmore Architectural Firm, a uh-huh. uh, good guy, Len uh, son, son of Len O'Connor, yeah. and I just quoted him as uh, just saying. Uh, it's it's a matter of how much it junks up the city, you know, mm, that's and it's, the that's attitude. still that that's still well, the case. Well, Dave, there was also an attitude, and I'm going back to the '90s here, particularly strong among, uh, well, not just suburban Republicans. I'm thinking of Pete Phillip, uh, but uh, uh, just a lot of good government folks. That if you put a casino in Chicago, somehow or other, the mob would end up running it, uh, and that Chicago was so corrupt mm-hmm. that you could not trust Chicago to uh, adequately police. Uh, a casino in order to keep uh, the under, you know, just the undesirables from running it. Um, I didn't even hear that op- opposition voice. Maybe I missed it. I did not hear that opposition voice over the last week when it you know, came to d- doling I, out I, this casino. I think in part it's because you, you've got the, uh, the the role of the uh, the Illinois Gaming Board here, which. You know, after all, they, some years ago they denied a casino for Rosemont because mm-hmm. of alleged mob ties. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they will have uh, oversight on this. Uh, the the city's supposed to have a one third stake in this with uh, uh, with the uh, the state and uh, a private owner um, having uh, having the rest of it. So I think there's some confidence there uh, about the uh, the operation of this if it can ever get off the ground. Uh, yeah, it's uh, each uh, each site has uh, has its potential. Each site has its uh, drawbacks. Uh, the governor has stated his opinion, I think, pretty strongly on this. Uh, we'll have to see uh, where where Lori, Lori Lightfoot comes out. Uh, she's been uh, very strong about investing in the neighborhoods, but she hasn't given away any uh, any you know preferences for a particular location as yet. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the the, the 
the turnaround in the thinking of this has uh, been interesting, and I, I think it's largely uh, a, a function of the, the state's financial situation. Well, one thing, I ha- another thing I haven't seen is any kind of impact study uh, that would try to ascertain what the impact of putting a enormous casino, as you said, 4,000 uh, gaming positions, that's a lot of like tables, folks, uh, it would have on the existing gambling sites we that already are here that's in right. the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, in the state of Illinois. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be an impact, don't you think? Yeah, you got to figure it would uh, it would knock out, uh, you know, at least one of the old riverboat sites. They're, they're on, it's gotten to the point where they're just cannibalizing this market, really. Yeah. Uh, the, the suburban uh, casino market is just not growing that much. The, if you look at the, the state numbers they, they they show that um, so uh, Chicago is going to bring a lot of uh, focus uh, into town it'll yeah it'll cost uh, Indiana something as well but I don't think this uh, this market is growing uh, by by huge amounts mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's hard to say if it'll even produce the you know the, the promised payoff for the state mm-hmm. yeah that's the that would be the first thing uh, that I would have liked to have seen which is some kind of analysis that would that it would I'm convinced that didn't that wasn't even done because I, mm-hmm. I don't recall anybody well, even mentioning you know it. in the in the legislation uh, b- before this thing gets going before any decisions are made uh, you know the, uh, somebody's supposed to do a feasibility yeah, feasibility study. study that's what they and, call it uh, yeah as uh, as the mayor said it's a uh, it, it's it's supposed to be an independent actor uh, doing the the feasibility study. How many you know truly independent people you can find in that field? Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, but somebody is uh, is supposed to take a look at the uh, the, the market potential and uh, uh, what the uh, implications might be. All right. When we uh, we're going to take a break, we're going to come back, and I'm going to go through a few sites with David. As I said, uh, uh, he and I have been uh, covering the, the planning development beat forever. So all these sites just bring back a flood of stories. Oh, I'm going to talk about two of my favorites: the old post office. Uh, Davis written some classic articles back in the day about the the switches and who owns it and how it went back and forth and what I call Resco Field. These are two sites the casino may come to. So we're going to take a break. Be right back with Dave Roder after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by gambling. Listen to that, huh? Woo! And, oh, jackpot, Ben, good job. And it's brought 
to you by our good friends at Murray and White. Sad news, guys. After five years and uh, let's see here, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors. Everything is on sale, though. Notable sale items like Veluspa and Nest Fragrance brand candles are twenty percent off. I say they are twenty percent off, but you may need to call up Murray and White, both of them, and find out if those are uh, candles are still around. Ben Drowski loves candles. <laughs> we found out last week his favorite candle scent. You remember what you said? Uh, peppermint. Peppermint. <laughs> peppermint candles, guys. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, the candles are 20% off. So while 20% isn't the largest discount, lovers of both those popular <laughs> candle lines have been buying them up. Just ask Ben. All rugs are 30% off. He's not a big rug guy, so there's tons of rugs available for you there. 30% off in store and new orders through June 1st. All floor <laughs> sample furniture, 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces are 40 to 50% off. Pillows, 40% off. Picture frames, 40% off. And jewelry, 40 to 50% off. Tons of items at Murray and White are on sale now. Head over there. And unfortunately, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors. But call them up. Head over to the store in Andersonville. Get you some discounted items. Uh, you may want to call up about candles once again, because once again, our host, Ben Jarofsky, loves candles. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, very good. That super cool music means the end of a super cool show. We're not done yet. David Roeder is still in the studio. <laughs> and we're going to go a couple over, the, over these gambling sites. Uh, by the way, David Roeder, ace business reporter for the Sun-Times, also plays a mean piano. That was David Roeder on the piano. Uh, you didn't know that, D. Roeder can play the piano, You're huh? kidding me. He can negotiate union contracts. He can organize unions. He can... Uh, Deal with Patrick Quinn and uh, just all around. Yeah. He's just all around guy. Jack of all trades. He's uh-huh. a jack of all trades. All right, we got to get Quinn back in the studio. Get what his thoughts are in the gambling casino because I know that was an issue around when he was governor as well. Uh, there was various proposals and effort. Always talking about bringing a casino uh-huh. to Chicago. Never got done. All right, uh, David Roder. I just I got it. This is an excuse to talk about the post office site. We could do a whole show on the post office site. It of course was sort of the like the centerpiece of one uh, of the charges filed against Ed Burke uh, in, his, in his indictment for uh, bribery where they were he was trying to shake down yeah. the developer yeah. Yeah. with Danny Solis acting as the middleman, yeah. the former alderman. Mm-hmm. So you had the head of the zoning committee uh, conniving with the head of the finance committee to shake down some legal business from a developer at his handout looking for TIF funding, and they both voted for the deal. That's the part that, that well, that's many parts that blow my mind, David. But both Solis and Burke voted for it, even though behind the scenes they were orchestrating this deal. To, what a corrupt city! Uh, and the developer came off looking pretty good in, the, in all that because because uh, he, he he didn't come forward with uh, with anything for Burke. That was you know Burke saying, uh, "Hey, the cash register hasn't rung yet," yeah. or something like that. You know, yeah, some a subsidiary of the developer yeah. uh, engaged Burke, but it's not clear if it's, they did that uh, as a result of the federal investigation. Not in other words, like they were playing along with the feds. I don't know, uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. The developer of, of all the people involved in that one, the developer looked uh, the cleanest. That is for sure. All right. Um, so uh, let's talk about the post office site. For years, I thought people would say it's the old post office. We're going to put a gambling casino in there. It's this huge 
white elephant, this dinosaur. We don't know what to do with it. It's that big, huge building that straddles Congress Expressway heading out I, of the loop. I, I used to call it Chicago's incredible bulk, you know. Yeah. Because like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it is just huge. Uh, you, could, uh, you could stand inside of it, and the floors just go on forever to the horizon. Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing how, uh, how large that is. Um, for years, it was empty and it was, you know, kind of falling apart. No, no plans for anything because uh, you, you couldn't do any. You couldn't do anything little there. You had to do something really big. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, though, uh, the uh, the developer who's got it out of uh, out of New York, they've uh, they, they've put together some. Uh, some companies coming in there, corporate headquarter type users like uh, like Walgreens and uh, Ferrara Pan Candy. Uh, these companies have signed leases. Some of them are going to be in there in the fall, so the the building is starting to go. Uh, so it's a it, it's it's getting some some real progress there, which is good for the for the city. It is probably not a viable casino site. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would think because of uh, you know Pritzker's uh, uh, you know pronounced favoritism for keeping it out of downtown, um, if uh, if a downtown site would still be in play, I would think you got to consider it. But uh, the question is, would uh, you know would corporate users want to be side by side with casino gamblers? That might not work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the site is so big, you can do a lot of stuff there. You can do your hotel. You can do whatever else you want. Yeah, I recall there was a plan. We were talking about this at the break, and I can't remember when. It was somewhere in the O's. Uh, it, it, Bloom, uh, who runs the gambling casino out in the suburbs, Des Plaines. Des Plaines, yeah, Rivers Casino. Was thinking of developing it, and I always thought the casino was going to go there, uh, but that deal fell apart, uh, and it never mm-hmm. happened. So uh, apparently uh, that is not a viable site anymore, although you never know. You never know how these things work, uh, David. I'm surprised that we've got the casinos that fast. So uh, Pritzker's opposition to a, de- a central location is not written in concrete. He could you know, change his mind, which brings me uh, to, I always call it Redsco Field, uh, and that, of course, is yeah, the enormous... That's it. Yeah, that's the big empty lot at uh, Roosevelt and Clark. Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, sixty acres yeah. or something beyond like the lot. It's, it's enormous. It's, 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 yeah. yeah, I think it's the largest single tract of undeveloped land. Uh, close to close to downtown. Close to downtown. Yeah. That's yeah in the city. The, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, the uh, the the company that controls that uh, is called Related Midwest. Um, for for me yesterday, they had no comment on uh, on casino issues. Um, it's it's shovel ready if uh, if you wanted to do a central location. Um, but again, it's it's right in uh, you know a neighborhood of. Uh, uh, some thriving retail and expensive condos. Is it a good mix, uh, you know, for a casino there? Um, I don't know. The uh, and the developer just may have uh, other preferences, but uh, certainly there's land available there. Mm-hmm. So that that's uh, that's one thing that you got to uh, consider throwing into the mix. The other is the old McCormick Place, the Lakeside Center, uh, the building along the lake. Uh, that they're they're talking about wanting to uh, at least partially tear down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're looking for a use for that because conventions don't go there anymore. They think the space is outmoded. Uh, that has been mentioned as a casino site, either permanent or 
uh, temporary, but that brings up these issues we we talked about about uh, do you want conventions and a casino to mix? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that, that's certainly another one. And man, over the years there have been so so many sites. I mean, Trump Tower here was a uh, uh, was a. Uh, a suggested site at at some point, and where uh, uh, that building has been sitting there, where Trump hasn't been able to lease the uh, the retail space on it, uh, he he probably would uh, uh, would uh, t- like to take a second look at a casino, but I don't think that's going to happen there. I don't think uh, if, I don't think if you've got you know million dollar condo, you want to you know live above something like that. Yeah. Well, what 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 you're saying uh, is that s- Chicago has drastically changed in so many ways, at least the downtown, uh, the development of the downtown, so that a casino uh, is almost looked viewed as, uh, you know, this unwanted intrusion, whereas back in the 80s or the 90s, when we first heard this talk, the casino would have been the trigger for development, if you follow what I'm exactly. saying. Yes. And now it's as though, well, no, we're, we're almost too yeah. good for the casino. Yeah, in, uh, yeah, a lot of downtown, you know, it's doing fine. You know, it, it, it's doing fine on its own. It, uh, it really doesn't need it. That, it that's why a, a site like, uh, like the, uh, the Michael Reese property might, uh, might be uh, very good. It, uh, it satisfies those who thinks, uh, you know, uh, extend some benefits to the neighborhood. It's accessible. There's room to do different things there. However, uh, in some years past, the uh, the community has raised objections to a casino being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a factor. Well, that, that community, there's a lot of development, a lot of development that have come south from the loop. Uh, so again, you know, that's, I remember there was opposition when they put the Wintrust uh, Arena, the where the Paul Basketball Arena in the south loop, not far from the Michael Reese site, right. because the area has changed significantly in terms of uh, residential development. Although I will throw this out there, Michael Reese site, uh, what's it, like 31st in the lake, somewhere around there, uh, is owned by the city of Chicago. City of Chicago purchased it back in 2009 part of Mayor Daly's ill-fated uh, dream for having the Olympics come here. So it has that advantage. Uh, all right, before I let you go, uh, it's a gambling, it's casino. So let's take a bet. In your humble opinion, uh, what is the top candidate? Uh, and you had to predict, if you had to put money in Vegas, or now you can put money in Chicago on this. Come yeah. money in Chicago. Where do you think it'll go? You know, I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd have to stick with the Reese site. I, I think uh, that the community issue is something that uh, you can uh, you can work with it. And so, uh, especially if you get imaginative about uh, what else you can do around it. So, Michael Reese is you, That's bet. where you would put your money down. Yeah. What mm-hmm. about, you don't think down uh, on those further south, uh, the sites of, of like... Seal, south Works is, south uh, works, is yeah, too 83rd. hard to get to. Uh, you know, uh, no highway access there. Uh, it it starts, uh, you know, butting up against the uh, the Indiana casino operations. Uh, so I think you would uh, downgrade that for those reasons. All right, let's see what your old monkey says. The monkey picks <laughs> Michael Reese. <laughs> That's an old joke. Anyway, sorry. That's his old monkey. They used to predict stocks. Anyway, uh, Dave Roder, we're going to bring you back to talk more about these uh, issues as time goes on. This story is just developing, uh, this casino story. They greenlit a casino. I've lived long enough to see a casino come to Chicago and reefer in one weekend. Good God. Insane. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Oh, we're going to be smoking and betting and everything else. Folks, you might as well smoke some reefer when you go to bed because I'll say it one more time. It is a sucker's 
game. The whole thing is set up for you to lose. That's indeed how gambling works. David Roeder, thank you so much. I love thank that you. little sound effect. Uh, Anthony Clark did a great job in the 2 o'clock hour. He is running for Congress in the 7th Congressional. We're going to have Keena Collins coming on the show, I think, tomorrow. She's also running in the 7th Congressional. And, of course, Maya was here at 1.30. She was on fire. Leah did a great job, as she always did, the uh, office editor. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, back home in Alton. They call him White Lightning. No, they don't. (laughs) Give yourself a raise, young man. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky and chicagoreader.com or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show, his last name, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do at Benny J Show on Facebook and Twitter and the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram. We'll see you tomorrow.